the Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Noche Breakdown with special guest co-host Fenyo from the fight site. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night Hey yo, what's up everybody? Dan Tom here, Protect Your Neck Podcast Host of this year's show, of course you might... Know me from MMAJunkie.com or Action Network for my analysis, betting, and non. But on this year's program, we break down high-level MMA. Well, slightly different way. I don't know what the fuck how we break it down. But we're going to try to break it down a couple of ways for you because it's not just me today. I'm hopefully going to have a guest here in a second, but wanted to get the show started. Uh, technical difficulties aside. So whether you're listening to this today, tonight, hopefully it's before the fight. Uh, strap in because we're going to be going for the normal format, which seems to surprise everybody. Uh, one we've been going for over half a decade now, but we're going to recap the previous show from top to bottom. Only one to recap because I'm actually making a back-to-back weeks despite my inconsistent ass for everything. Uh, just I've been having to kind of deal with uh, in and out of the scenes. But as you guys know, man, the reverse the reverse sweep king over here is back. And on those terrible weeks when most people hide their, their you know hide their faces and you know, uh, and, you know, fudge their results. Like, no, I even when uh, you know all hell's breaking loose, I still come and come accountable for those weeks. So you know how it is. Just, <laughs> we'll give you guys your fades soon enough. Although, I think we're down to turning it around. I'm going to be keeping the positive attitude. I know, classic, classic Dan Tom could be complaining despite uh, you know having the classic Dan Tom things of being positive and having it. I shoved into your face. Uh, we're going to keep going at it, man, and, and see what we can do. I have some uh, better analysis to give you guys because I can say that because it's not coming from me. Hopefully, we'll get my guy Fenyo from the fight site. I see you guys regulars in. Uh, so we'll get to that. We'll get to the recap. I can knock you know those things out of the way. And that way, by the time uh, my guest comes in who I can add live, I'm going to keep his you know, placard up here for some free advertising. Uh, if you want to follow him uh, at F-E-N-O-X Sky on uh, Twitter or the artist formerly known as Twitter, where you can also follow me at Dan Tom MMA. Add in those little underscore things in between at Dan Tom MMA to find me on uh, Instagram. So getting more active on there, especially as I'm getting more active in general. Uh, still hanging down in the low 190s. Still down over 10 pounds, though. And going from there, again, a lot of you know injuries, nerve issues I'm still working through. Body's creating new stuff, of course, as we are trying to sledge through this. What is it, like a seven, we're like in week 15 of 17 UFC week, uh, straight weeks. And, of course, once there's a, a air quotes break, there is no break because Contender Series is still amongst the 10-week run, which I also cover, plus Bellator. So it's going to be, I think, like a three-event week next week for your boy here. Um, and I'm going to have some, maybe some uh, tattoo, appointments, at least consultation appointments, getting, finally getting, getting more work done, um, on the chat. Maybe you might even see some, uh, in, in this area. We'll see here, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited. A lot of good things happening. So, uh, positive things, but man, just busy, just busy. So thank you guys for bearing with me. Thank you guys for bearing with the late start. Hopefully we'll get, uh, my guest on here. So you won't have to just bear with me. 
But uh, it's good to see you guys. we got Makato Kayagoku in the chat. What's going on? Good to see PYN is back in full force. We need much more positive guys like Dan and Fenyo in the MMA space. I don't know if you want to lump me in with positive, but, uh, you know, I appreciate you lumping me in positively with somebody awesome uh, as the uh, as the guest to be. Dun, 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 dun. Jimmy Kudo, the enforcer to be. My man with the plan. Jimmy Kudo in the house. Rules for the chat. Number one, be nice. Number two, be respectful. Number three... Suck Dan. Whoa, that's not number three, Dan. Number three, <laughs> be smart. You guys know what is inappropriate and what's not. Just do the right thing. That's right, baby. It's like Spike Lee's, like Spike Lee, uh, you know, not his first movie, but, you know, one of one of the first I came across. Do the right thing, baby. Shout out to that. Radio Rahim. What an awesome, what an awesome character, by the way. Radio Rahim. Rain Lamina in the house. The Fenyo of being Buenyo. I'm going to mispronounce it to try to rhyme there. The Dan Tom of liking 80s rom-coms. You are back. Glad to see you uh, both doing well. Glad to see you, uh, see you, your presence, I should say, Rain Lamb. And appreciate you. Also appreciate St. Girl Wing in the house. Good to see the show back. I couldn't make it last time since it was a late night. I know. Apologize. That's why I wanted to keep it somewhat early at a respectable time and to ease my conscious of not coming correct with the analyses as I've really been not just performing my picks and plays under standard, but another reason why I'm not, you know, uh, even though people just consider, you know, uh, recapping, crying about results, I guess, the, the reason why I, I honestly haven't even been, you know, crying, you know, foul plays, bad, I mean, I'm on a bad streak for sure, but no, you know, no woe is me, bad luck type of things or anything is honestly, you know, I haven't been bringing my uh, analysis up to standard, which is, you know, not just obvious because I Oh, I see it, and I'm being self-deprecating. But no, like as you guys, long-time listeners know, I used to try to get the whole show top to bottom. You know, having almost every car fight research, it would be like maybe three to four. And now it's like, wow, uh, I'm lucky to get through the uh, whole prelims and a you know the whole main card and a select prelim, which I do have a select prelim play and stuff lined up for you. But again, to pick up the slack, uh, we'll have a we'll have a guest in. So glad you guys are uh, happy that I'm back. I don't deserve it, but hit the like button. Don't deserve it, but I appreciate you guys being here. I don't deserve it, but go ahead and uh, hit those five-star ratings and reviews if you haven't already. That definitely helps uh, balance out the haters, though, uh, down voting or whatever or not. It still gives me engagement either way, I guess, so it's it's whatevs. I'll take it. Mark Fellows in the house. Australia. Buenos dias, amigo. Uno mas cerveza, por favor. You would say that, Mark. You would say that, sir. Uh, cheers. Uh, cheers to you, my man. Uh, much love there, of course. Uh, Nika, new, new, new person in the chat, appreciate you participating. Let's go and work Kapilov. We will get to uh, Russian Chase Hooper as you will. Um, and that line, and, 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 you know, if there's any meat on the bone, there goes Phantom in the house. You know, you can't have the uh, bash without the brothers. You got two two enforcers here. Uh, we're rolling deep. We're rolling strong today, Ghost Phantom. Hey, it's Dan and Fenyo is going to be on the show. Sharp MMA Minds. Well, I appreciate that coming from a sharp MMA mind. That is Ghost Phantom 98 of course. Uh, a little bit of a different address there on the Twitter sphere, but, uh, you know, give him a follow where you can. Good martial arts, mind, and poison in the space. James Kendrick in the house. Fenyo here. I listen to the Fight Site Pod too. Excellent pod. That's right. Fenyo does an excellent job. Um, also, you know, I, I got to get other Fight Site guys. Shout out to uh, my guys, uh, 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 Karth there uh, on the, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the other gentleman is on, uh, uh, Silas is on uh, the old Twitter or formerly known as Twitter there. But shout out to Karth. Uh, they do a great uh, podcast uh, as well when they, when they come on. Also got a good uh, boxing podcast that's done by another gentleman there. Uh, Luka, is it Lukash? Am I getting that right? But, uh, but yeah, I think, 
Yep, I got my man Fanyo. I'm gonna go connect him and bring him, bring him on here. Uh, just get through, clear through the chat, the shouts real quick. Uh, uh, yes, more Fanyo. Well, let, let me get Fanyo on. You're get, he's getting enough sh shouts in the chat here. I'm gonna gonna dial him up over here. It's like he's gonna be like my uh, who was that guy? The uh, Tim Allen's neighbor. Maybe you're gonna see Fanyo's face. What's up? There's that beautiful face. Hey, what's, what's up? up? How you can you hear me? Okay, I can hear and see you. Great, by the way. You look great. Okay. Connection's yeah, good. Yeah, everything, everything's good, yeah. Okay, I'm going to add you live in, sir. So, uh, you know, put your clothes on. Uh, you know, no, uh, just kidding. Here we go. No, no, no. No, no, no. He is fully clothed. No, 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 no. Quita te la ropa here. He's got his, he's got his clothes <laughs> on. All right. I, I, you, <laughs> you get it. What's up? You hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you Okay, fine. yeah. I was gonna say I used to get uh, La Ropa and La Puerta mixed up, and I had a I had a construction job, and we used to have to pull doors, and depending on what access of the wall it was for fire code stuff, right? Depending on how the <laughs> how the door opened and stuff, like we'd have to pull the door to get to the access of the wall and stuff. And uh, I worked with a lot of either El Salvadorian guys or Mexican guys, and uh, I remember one I just mess I'd accidentally mess up and like get it mixed up in my head. I'd be like, okay. Uh, and they would just stop and look at me like what what did you just say I'm like oh oh, sh oh shit <laughs> so yeah it was it was it was uh, embarrassing speaking of embarrassing though uh, i don't think i can embarrass myself so oddly enough uh, i don't even think i can embarrass myself Fenyo, as uh, we've got ufc noche which we're going to be breaking down here folks for everybody joining us um of course uh you thought uh, you know i don't know i don't know if it'll have as much cultural appropriation as burning man uh, I, you know, I don't know how many uh, wh white dudes with dreadlocks we'll have on this particular cornrows, I should say, on this particular card. But uh, yeah, the UFC, of course. Uh, you know, it's times like this, Fanyo. I'll let you weigh in here. It's times like this. I am glad. I will shut the shut the fuck up. I am glad they ignore the Asian stuff with the uh, with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, jingles. Did they did they do they do the outright Did they really play that for their thing? It was it was pretty close to that. At least it wasn't that, but, but it was it it's was bad. like I mean I'm not Mexican by the way. Uh, yes. people think that everyone in South America is the same. I, I don't <laughs> I don't I don't really identify with Mexican culture. It's very different over here, but but it's like it's like if UFC went to like China and then they they put the sound of like a gong and made a lot of graphics with dragons and shit. <laughs> it was a bit of that, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but less cool. Because yeah. now that I say that, it sounds it sounds a lot cooler than what they did for for Mexico. To be honest. Hey, listen, I'm just glad they didn't do Road to UFC with the. Oh yeah, you're good. You're I, good. I need to I need to untangle a cable here. You good? We got uh, Rios and Truesdale in the house. Well, Fenyo's adjusting. We got Sammy Arnett. Fenyo and Dan are cool. I I'll take it. Thank you. Fenyo's definitely cool. Oh, my guys. Chronic Combat uh, Conversations. No no better time than Dan. Tom. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Uh, James Kendrick. Dan, don't be too hard on yourself. We love you. I appreciate that. You know, guys, I got to come clean with the uh, with the results. Uh, Rios and Truesdale, would you ever have Miguel Class on your show? I need to. Uh, he's cool, too. Yeah, he is. Um... I could have him down for anything. Uh, I would probably ask him to come down for like a, uh, what do you call it, uh, a, a top five show or something like that. That would be probably more my speed. All right, you're cool. Let me see. Uh, 
and make sure my oh yeah I'm good no we're still good yeah we're still we're still live okay I got confused by the screens there my uh, ecam screen perfectly intercepted with the uh, Skype screen I got confused there um, but yeah I was gonna say like yeah I'm glad they didn't do Road to UFC da -da 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 -da. <laughs> like I mean they would have done it if they cared about Asians so I'll take I will take the Asian uh, ignoring and let and let uh, you know Latin America catch the uh, things and again it's uh, Noche is Mexican uh, Independence Day correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, so it's not, I'm not trying to, you know, blank, blanket Mexican with all Latin uh, culture and people, obviously. Uh, Fenio, I know you live, obviously, in Chile, but are, what, are you full Chilean, if I'm pronouncing even that right? Yeah, Chile is the name. Um, yes, I'm actually fully Chilean, both my parents Chilean. I have a bit of European ancestry by, from my mom's side. Uh, but it's like very distant stuff. Uh, the grandmother of my mom is British, and her her grand grandfather is French. Other than that, it's just like Spanish and indigenous from over here. That it's most people from South America anyway. So yeah, I'm pretty. I just like rolled the the wrong dice genetically and ended up like with whiter skin and red hair, but. I'm actually just as just as mixed as any anybody else over here. And all... I'm like most people, most people from the US as well. I'm assuming they are very mixed as I suppose as what what most people think most white people in the US are very mixed as well. Yep, yep. I'm I'm very mixed as well. Jin Karasu's cultural appropriation by UFC is cringe. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. But, uh, you know, I love how they're like, oh, are you going to make a normal thing of this since they're clearly making a big deal? And they're just like, we'll just see what... They're like pretty much openly being like, we'll just see what, you know, maybe we'll do uh, Cinco de Mayo next year. Who, we'll, we'll see what's available. Like, it's clearly they're just grabbing for, for literal straws and, and cash, you know? <laughs> but... Uh, no, it's... It is rough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I understand that... I think the, the the thing with the UFC that people don't get is that when they're actually their most of their marketing, especially in the US, is is mostly oriented to Mexican Americans and not actually Mexicans. And those are like very different targets, I would say, as audience. Uh, so yeah, I mean, most Mexican Americans probably probably don't give a shit about the jingle and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, sure, sure. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like. I mean, it just goes back to when the UFC was saying, oh, oh Cain Velasquez is the the, the first uh, Mexican heavyweight right. world champion, including boxing and all this stuff. And... <laughs> And I was gonna say, and don't, and before anybody says we're offended, like we're we're not, we're we're clearly just poking and having fun and just kind of poking at the obvious here. But uh, don't worry, folks, we're gonna we're definitely gonna preview the card. Um, and I'm not even gonna try to belabor the recap because I know. Um, Fenyo over on shout out to the fight site. I just shared somebody uh, in the chat said go patronize, uh, you know, go support the fight site. Uh, of course, the fight site.com is where you can find Fenyo and other analysts. And please go support him. You can actually uh, order custom analysis from Fenyo. I'll let him plug that now whenever he wants, as well as at the end. So don't don't fret. You can find out how to. Uh, not just access his analysis, but use his analysis to your bidding. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but uh, but he is uh, he is definitely uh, you know uh, making availabilities, and I can speak for the work. It's good work, so uh, I definitely want to shout that before we get rolling, and we won't go too deep 
into the UFC 293 recap because, again, on that podcast feed, um, I know Fenyo already did a recap. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, shout out to another podcast feed, the Southpaw Podcast, which I joined uh, with two minds that I respect, uh, Sam Yang and, of course, uh, my guy Jason, who is MMAI, uh, that YouTube channel or account, as you may better know him. Um, so it was kind of, you know, we had a theorist, a scientist, and an analyst kind of recapping. We had some great discussion there. Uh, not that saying we can't have some good discussion here, Fenyo, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to, you know, bore the audience or anything with any of uh, my takes. I don't have anything too grand to say. But would you mind joining me in a, in a quick recap top to bottom before we get into UFC Noche? Yeah, for sure. That sounds great. Okay, awesome. Thank you, guys. Keep it, uh, keep, keep it in the chat. I will get back to you. Uh, you know, uh, it, super chats turned on, but again, I don't just, I don't even just lose Civita. Uh, and I will try to answer you guys either way. You guys know me. I don't give a fuck. Uh, so let's go to results. UFC 293. Um, I don't have my numbers in front of me because that's a good thing when you get reverse sweeped, especially dude, I've been doing this for like over half a decade, Fanyo. And like, I could count literally on the times on one hand, I got reverse sweeped and still have fingers left over. I have been reverse sweeped three times in just the last two months. I have taken up just a whole hand in just this last year. That's how bad I've been. So forgive me for not doing the math, but the result is I suck. Uh, we'll go with starting with, of course, Sean Strickland defeated Israel Adesanya. Um, I had a crazy weekend, so I was like both napping and then I went out and, you know, Dan, it, 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 it's like someone asked me if I was going to go to the, the, the fights and like shout out to my guy. Uh, Martin, by the way, found some really excellent tickets, and there are good deals you can find here. But like, I'm so so busy. By the time it gets to the weekend, like I'm just trying to like get stuff done. Like I don't even watch half these fights anymore. Like I was joking with my audience, Fenyo. Like I barely researched the prelims because I've been below my standard. And in my defense, I barely even watch the prelims these days. Um, so uh, it's been kind of cra- you know you know whether we're talking about just if I want to run errands or God forbid go on dates and be a real person. So I didn't watch much of much of the card for for for, for many reasons, and I felt like I was waking up later to catch up on results in a fever dream. Um, but Sean Strickland defeated Israel Adesanya. Uh, before we uh, just get your thoughts on that, I just want to say that these are always the worst for me because of this bias. I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. You know, I didn't just call, you know, uh, you know uh, how Nganu was going to win or whatever, and, and everyone laughed and said wrestling improvements or this or that. Or when I call an Ige fight correctly. Uh, not that I'm a victory lap guy, but even if I was... No one could take me seriously because it's like, oh, it's your boy, your extreme couture, it's Nick Sick, you know? And then when I get it wrong, I am the biggest asshole because not only did I get it wrong, but like, oh, you picked against your guys, right? And even though they're <laughs> professional, you, you, I, I still can't help but feel bad. And of course, everybody, projection and perception to me is that I should be feeling bad and getting shit, right? Even though I'm actually not. Because um, again, I'm one of the few guys who not just accounts for their losses, but I actually train and not just actually train. I actually train in the same gym and sign the waiver so I can get beat up by these people. And even when I'm completely wrong, reverse sweep, embarrassed as all hell, picking against my own guys, who is in there sweeping the mats of that very gym the next morning? So for all the bad things you can say and I will account for, I will say balls right here. Fucking cojones, balls. So... I account for it, um, but it's also why, god damn, do I hate these fights, because I'm, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. Does any of that make sense, Fenyo? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't have, like, uh, proximity to any big camps or anything like that, but, but yeah, I, I, I for sure feel like that. Um, it's very hard when, I mean, as me as a fan, uh, when you get very invested in certain fighters, it's it gets very hard to, to call their fights. Um, 
for me, for example, predicting like Dustin Poirier fights, I think I do a, a good job on on the analysis, but but it gets it gets super hard uh, going into the first Conor rematch, for example. I was like super sure in my reads of, um, and and I was on a on a minority here, not not trying sure. to like like play my own <laughs> my own applause here, but but I was like. Listen, guys, uh, it's Salpa versus Salpa. Dustin Poirier with the right hook is going to ho- fuck him up. That's that's what I felt in deep inside me. But then everyone was like, oh, does, uh, Connor is going to attack him again. Connor is going to attack him again. Connor is so much better in the pocket. And, and I was in a, in a, I was in the minority that was like, I don't know, man. Like, Dustin was outboxing uh, Max in the pocket. Like, uh, Connor is good in the pocket when he's, like, controlling the outcomes. I feel like pocket boxing, Dustin Poirier better than Conor McGregor. And and I didn't I didn't go as hard in my analysis and I ended up picking Dustin to win the like a lot of caveats on that. <laughs> Very unnecessary because I, I was so sure on my pick, but I was like, oh I'm I'm being generous to my guy here. I I, ne- I need to compensate for the corner side a little bit. <laughs> so so yeah it, it gets hard when when you get like so involved in that. Uh, I also felt, and, and I did not predict Taves to win, but but I well, I was like, um, Sergio versus Patricio. I feel like Sergio like uh, poses a lot of challenges that Patricio has never seen, especially a good combination boxer again <laughs> with good footwork. Um, it was like he doesn't present the the flaws that Patricio usually usually exploit in these fighters, especially with the in and out movement and big left hand and Sergio. You're a, a lot more, more, more conscious about that kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously, I didn't trust the weight cuts as well. I think Patricio looked all right in that fight. To be in that fight, to be honest, uh, full props to Sergio Perez for, for enormous performance. But yeah, this fight. Um, in my preview, I said like, you know, what can Sean Strickland do? Because it was like so obvious that uh, EC was going to win, and. And I, I think I did well in predicting some of the stuff that Strickland could do, but I was very surprised with uh, how he accomplished it. Uh, I I always said that if Strickland is going to win this, he needs to make it ugly. He needs to put a lot of volume on Adesanya. But he came with a different approach, uh, a very tactics-oriented uh, defense defensively approach. And huge shout-outs to Eric Nixick because um, it was amazing. And... Uh, one of the main things about this fight uh, is that I always felt like uh, Strickland gets gets way more crap than it than it is deserved when it comes to his defensive boxing, especially mm. mostly just for the Pereira Pereira knockout. Uh, Strickland is um, is a guy that uh, lives and dies by his reads, uh, and I was comparing him to Valentina Shevchenko that we're going to talk about later here. Uh, both are fighters that. They they depend a lot in the rise and in the reflexes to make the right defensive read and they they take a lot of chances with those so they they really need to be sharp and when you see like very good performances by Strickland or Valentina you you can tell that they are seeing everything the reactive responses because they are very like super oriented in the first layer of defense so if they make the the wrong choice uh, they're kind of fucked at times. Um, and I was very surprised uh, with Strickland, uh, especially because he made some big adjustments going into this fight that were very necessary. Um, 
I said before this fight that Strickland is a, a bit of an oddity in MMA because he has this very long, uh, very narrow stance. Uh, he stands very tall, but he's very heavy on the front foot usually. And that has exposed him to leg kicks. And usually one of the benefits of a narrow stance is that you allow to like check very easily. Um, for example, every Nakmuay in the world. <laughs> Uh, and now stands very easy to check kicks and Strickland usually not the case because he's so jab centric from that tall stance that he has been uh, vulnerable to like kicks in the past not this time this time uh, a more more well centered stance better balance between both feet and he was able to pull back and check a lot during the fight very effectively so Alessandra couldn't get to the combinations going because he wanted Strickland to respect the feints, uh, overreact to the feints mostly. And then he wanted like uh, an, exager an exaggerated response to the first strike to start going in combinations. But Strickland was a lot more aware than in previous fights to not put himself out of position after the first move. So if he was going to do a slip, he was doing his with, with the craft guard. He was just like a very subtle uh, slip and the, the hand here was ready to parry a kick or block high. So he was very responsible. He had like an actual flow chart of defense going on on this one. And that really disrupted the, the offense of Adesanya. Yeah, yeah, no, really well said. And uh, yeah, before I say anything, I just want to say uh, what you said, pick up as far as like shouts to... Um... Shouts to my guy Eric as well. I know uh, I didn't mention it, or I mentioned on last show that I didn't, you know, uh, have like big strat. We talk shop, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily talking strategy before the fight. There's a difference of that, and saying maybe it's a good thing, you know, with the whole James Krause, uh, Krause stuff. Me and me and Eric have a clean conscience, but uh, it is it is kind of funny though because um, a lot of the things, uh, and. Even people in the chat, shout out to, to those of you, the Ghost Phantoms and stuff of the world, um, were trying to give me more credit even before this fight played out as far as pick, picking up things that could predict it as far as, uh, they're like, Dan, you've mentioned before, Izzy, whether it's a southpaw jabber, like a southpaw jab, like when Anderson would do it, it made him really uncomfortable, or orthodox jabbers, um, you, know, it, you know, and I'm not the only person who said that or anything, so I'm not trying to like go after the fact. But, like, there was a lot of things, I think, a lot of us analysts, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that we a lot, a lot of us picked out, you know? And then also knowing Eric and his system, um, there were a lot of things that kind of made sense. Like, I, I would hear, you know, um, with the defense, and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, I was one of those people, because even though uh, I didn't pick Connor, I did, you know, cite the lead hand, but I do remember you specifically picking Dustin and really leaning into that, and that hindsight... I remember your analysis specifically, Fanyo, for what it's worth, like really just making sense and aging really well. But like uh, for this fight, for example, like, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of analysis. And again, I picked against him because I figured not just so much porous defense or like picking apart his defense, because I did defend the proprioception as a karate guy who likes to do a lot of wing blocking and fucking around and bladed stance. Like I get the reliance on proprioception, relying on your eyes and whether it's a parry, a down block, um, a, you know, a monkey paw, however you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to use, a lot of that is very having what when you hear guys like Fanyo or myself say good eyes, right? So I agree with you on that, and and that's just another thing we didn't make a big enough deal on. Uh, but also an, an, another thing was you know uh, is, is Strickland's footwork. You know, people say, oh, he follows, he follows religious, and and I disagree, and I remember. Even writing my breakdowns, I try to use my words very carefully. And I wrote 
um, he can sometimes follow because I didn't agree that he religiously followed. In fact, if you watch Strickland's last three to four fights, which makes sense when you look at, he's been with Nixick and Extreme Couture longer than three to four fights, but he was doing a lot of traveling and he would still split time a lot of times with Syndicate. Not that he doesn't go to other gyms still, but it wasn't right away to where he identified himself as an Extreme Couture guy. I mean, Strickland was, was, was very much a nomad uh, outside of his you know, Team Quest uh, California stint uh, for, for a bit. He was very much a nomad, right? Um, so it kind of makes sense. And if you look at it, he actually is making these improvements. Um, he put it all together, obviously, on the night. But there are breadcrumbs that you can follow. Um, that, again, I, I'm not going to play hindsight like I called anything. But it, I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm beating myself up because I did provide some of these breadcrumbs. And I, I did recognize some of these things myself. I just didn't put it all together. Maybe I'm overcorrecting the steering wheel in the other way, which I tend to do. You know, you're harder on the, your, your own students. You're harder on your own guys, right? You're more critical of your analysis because I, I don't want to be, you know, just, just another homer like like pretty much everybody is, even on UFC broadcasts when, you know, uh, they probably shouldn't be homering. They kind of, it's natural, it's human. So I try to counter that. And um, yeah, I didn't expect it. I, I, I saw the things there that even some of the, again, people in the chat, to my credit, pointed out, but I'm not taking credit for anything, man. I, I totally missed this Fenyo. It was a brilliant defensive performance, um, you know, working the geography, as Nick Sick likes to call it, and just that kicking defense, because again, that was a thing that, you know, Izzy Adesanya will peck away with, with kicks and hard kicks if they're open, whether it was kickboxing days, you know, that was something, and we've seen him maybe use it a lot less, and he's kind of, you know, aged his style. We can have a whole other conversation on this, but I kind of want to move on. But, um, but yeah, man, this was just one of those performances where it's amazing. It's definitely up there as one of the biggest men's upsets, whether it's by the numbers or the impact. But at the same time, these things aren't crazy in MMA, right? How many times does the creative dynamic guy just not have his night? And he just gets pressured and washed by something that's very more basic but more consistent. You know, somebody maybe we'll talk about this with the uh, when we get to Alexa Grasso and Shevchenko. But just sometimes, even you know, you know, just knowing you might not be you know a better striker than Adesanya, you may not be a better southpaw than Shevchenko, but knowing distances and knowing what you need to be looking for, both for yourself and your opponent, if you can disciplinely do that, it sounds hard, simpler than it is, but it's really hard. But if you can disciplinely do that, sometimes that's all you need. You don't need to be flashy. You know, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my, my takeaway from it. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, a very disciplined performance. And, and one that was backed up, obviously, by a lot of drilling in the gym. And that showed big time, especially the the kicks. And I give a big props to, to both Chan and, and to Eric for that because... Uh, we've seen uh, MMA fighters struggle with the kick defense yes. for like for the whole duration of the sport. Right? Yeah, and Strickland uh, very like like very focused on defending the kicks, and and I think yeah, it was it was uh, it was like a big upset, but I think it it felt a lot bigger because a lot of people were discrediting uh, Strickland as a straight up bad fighter. I I had a lot of trouble with that. Uh, I've never I never seen Chan Strickland as a bad fighter. Maybe like maybe like not championship material. Obviously he is now, <laughs> but but I I felt like a lot of people were like, oh Strickland, it's a joke. Uh, how can this guy get a title shot? It's like I I don't know, man. I, I I've seen the qualities. Um, 
I've been criticized myself in the past. Uh, had a big thing on Twitter because I, I was saying like, oh, Jiri Prochaska sucks. And a lot of a lot of people like big, big accounts on Twitter came at me with, the, oh, because you snob analysis, uh, you cannot take when a fighter doesn't fight conventionally. And yeah, my trouble with with Prochaska is not that he's not conventional. Uh, I I like a lot of like funky styles and out of the box fighters. In fact, I've always appreciated a lot of a lot of what Sean Strickland does, or fighters like Bobby Green, for mm -hmm. example, that fight really outside the box and make their own thing. So yeah, that's not my problem. Is that sometimes you see like big flaws in fighters. Obviously, Prochaska has the physical tools to take advantage, and he fights in a in a worse division, let's be honest. So he can he can take advantage of that. But but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, Sean Strickland is trash." Uh, all I I only want uh, Alessandra to finish him uh, because if he doesn't, uh, I'm going to be disappointed. Um, and I felt like I picked Isti because it, to me it seemed like a very bad matchup. And in the end, I was proved wrong, and I'm very happy to admit that because it yeah. was a very good performance. Mm -hmm. Like all all personal stuff aside, uh, I think I, I I come I come up like a Sean Strickland fan sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really I'm really not, but I appreciate uh, especially this performance. I give a lot of props. Uh, it was it was good stuff, and I like I like seeing that. I like I like watching a performance that uh, I didn't thought was possible. And to learn from that, I think it's a very, very good experience. Absolutely. And last two things I will say is that uh, uh, shouts to Poeton for circling and working the body because that just was such a key that I think that not just wasn't enough from the, the forget the footwork perspective, which is its own thing. But uh, I don't know. I didn't look at the numbers, Fenio, but I felt like Adesanya was really missing on, on body work to stop that pressure and to manipulate more of Sean's guard. That's how you... Uh, you know, really exploit that guard, you know, deepening the layers of defense and pocket exchanges, uh, if you will. Uh, secondly, uh, that lifting knee thing that he did as well, that was awesome. And it was kind of ironic that the one, even though it was uh, orthodox, granted, I believe it, it happened, or maybe it was Southpaw, is he? No, he was an orthodox. Uh, but that, you know, that uglier kind of thing, and it got him the knockout against Whitaker or whatever, but that check hook and the, you know, and I think he got Paulo Costa with it as well. Um, but it's funny, something I look for, and we saw this, the reason why I picked underdogs Khalil Roundtree and uh, the guy looks like David Harbour from Stranger Things, Mirza Konoff, to beat uh, Jacoby, because Jacoby does the lifting knee thing as well. And, you know, I feel like that, when you're against Southpaw, hard counterpunchers, uh, it's really dangerous. It was my one worry about picking Charles Oliveira over Dustin Poirier, and even though Charles Oliveira won, and I was right in that respect, if you look, you know, when Dustin Poirier really is clocking him on the checks... It's when Charles Oliveira is doing the lifting knee. It's why I picked, even though I ended up being incorrect, it's why I picked Michael Johnson to beat Carlos Diego Fajeda because Carlos Diego Fajeda started doing the lifting knee thing to close in on Pettis to kind of kill his kicks. You know, even though Pettis is an underrated counterpuncher, especially with his counter cross and people give him credit for, he's not like a check hook guy from left or right yeah. necessarily. So Carlos Diego Fajeda was a really good entry point. Now, he smartly adjusted that and actually was getting his ass kicked for the whole fight against Johnson, but classic Johnson mixed with smart cornering and direction from Safe Sayud, who gives a, a really key adjustment before he gets that knockout punch. 
Point being, despite the result, there is something there when you have heavy southpaw counterpunchers versus the lifting knee thing. That's the one thing I don't like the lifting knee style for. I do it myself because I like throwing knees, front kicks like Sidichai style, and then I'll add MMA look like a Mighty Mouse where you can kind of step through and either dip down and set up your right hand into an orthodox or dip down and set up that shot now from orthodox uh now you're kind of married, uh, married in the orthodox. So I'm, I'm operating from from that southpaw, but uh, yeah, that that lifting knee thing was was very effective in this style. And uh, shout out to Derek uh, D Love, uh, uh, thetumericktonic.com. Use code Protect15 for 15% off. You guys have heard me shout this guy out before. He shared something on Instagram that uh, you know he was uh, having this uh, cancer promotional, I believe, and he does promotional things with fighters. And, you know, I've seen him do stuff with, like, you know, I believe, like, Bobby Green and, like, California fighters before. And uh, he's been he's been kicking ass. So, shout out to my guy, D-Love. Follow him. Uh, D-Love's Turmeric Tonic. You got to get fancy with the underscores like you do my name for Twitter. Or you can go to the website, thetumerictonic.com. But, uh, you know, a while ago, a couple years ago, there was a cancer thing that he really needed some outreach to help uh, for fighters to share. And I guess the only fighter that took the time to share it and uh, genuinely share something and help was uh, Sean Strickland. So, I'm not trying to do PR for the guy i haven't done that before just because he shares my gym so you can't accuse me of that but i, I definitely wanted to share um the good things because we can get caught up whether it's technically or otherwise we can get focused on the bad things a lot too easily so i just wanted to shout that out before we move on all right we'll get through the rest of this fast alexander volkov defeated tied to ivasa um basically at heavyweight it's like one of those things where it's like you either look like a genius or you look like an idiot which is why i hate not just picking but also betting heavyweight fights you know any heavyweight two to one underdog you really don't have to justify a, a bet you don't really need analysis for that right i mean this is coin flip this is heavyweight mma this is volatile but i will say not that i'm surprised or disagreed with volkov being the favored but i heard people in their analysis going yeah he'll probably wrestle maybe go for a submission and i was like listen i get why volkov's the favorite but i'm like come on like is it just because the Russian thing? Like they think he can wrestle? Like, like, like the same people saying he's going to wrestle offensively every Volkov breakdown. I don't hear them giving him the underrated credit that he actually showed in the later rounds against Curtis Blade. So, so I'm just like, so I'm like, you're not even keeping that same energy. And again, just like all analysis, which is just my thing, where I'm not not only am I wrong, it's got to be you know not just catch the red light, I got to catch the yellow light. We're not just I eat shit in a funny way, but then I have to hear like bad analysis, uh, you know get validated oh you know we're in the volkov wrestle fest which is like oh yeah of course because i called that why were you picking two with boss it was clear that volkov was gonna wrestle no men you know you know, uh, more, you know no maybe not no mention but you know body work range not the men no no he's gonna wrestle and of course that's what happened i, I i'm not surprised that i lost here is what i'm trying to say but again it's just just you just gotta make me feel like it because again <laughs> there's no other way you're either a complete fucking genius or you're an idiot and and just to remind the folks at home, I keep the same energy when I'm on the genius side. When Derek Lewis knocks out, um, you know, Rogerio de Lima, I was getting mad at people. Even though I was on the same side and my friends cash and we all cash, I should be happy. I was sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all good. Um, I did predict Volkov to win here, um, but I I felt like Trivasa had some some good tools to to make it a fight. Um, but I think what made made me go with Volkov, not not the wrestling. Obviously, I did not see that one coming. I mean, we've seen Volkov be very heavy from top position, but uh, the circumstances from where he gets there are always very sketchy. <laughs> uh, I think. Um, to me, Volkov has become like one of the most reliable guys at heavyweight. Um, 
other than the Tom Aspinall like washout yeah. that was very impressive. Um, we no one no one has an easy time with Volkov. Uh, not Cyril Gann, uh not Roisenstroik, uh, not Curtis Blades. That that decision kind of sketchy on rewatch. Like you know, if uh, yeah. it was. It was judges rewarding a lot of wrestling with no damage in that in that fight. Not saying that oh Volkov won that's that's a robbery, but there's an argument uh, to the other side there. Um, and the cardio was very surprising too because Volkov took it to Blades on fourth and fifth, and we consider usually Blades one of the better conditioned guys at heavyweight. Um, what surprised me here was the, him shaking kicks very well. Mm-hmm. Because he, yeah. oh, I mean, obviously, obviously, Cyril Gunn a lot taller and quicker than Tai Tuivasa, but still, he he gave Volkov a lot of trouble with with his own leg kicks on that one. Uh, no, Volkov here very sharp with the checks. Uh, another performance with good checks, surprisingly, for another fighter that people often say that he's very bad, and I don't agree. I think Volkov pretty good, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Good stuff and um, improved hip movement too. Like Tuivasa was having trouble getting to the head of Volkov. Um, I don't know. Do you know where Volkov is training out uh, right uh, now? Apparently, he relocated to Las Vegas. I don't know if he's trying to get uh, secretly. He was out in California for a bit with like Black House and then doing Bolt uh, with Kenny Johnson for Bolt Wrestling. Then he was back at Russia just kind of camp jumping. And this was around the time where I got thrown off because he looked like shot in those like. You know, it's like, okay, maybe it was just a speed difference with uh, Gon, and then he, lo- you know, loses, like, just that fast to Aspinall, which, again, I wasn't surprised that he lost to Aspinall. I took, you know, small underdog shots on Volkov both those times. But I was just like, oh, wow, maybe the miles, maybe he's just not looking looking it. And uh, another reason why I can't cry about anything here, um, Volk- I shouldn't have bet this fight. I forgot Volkov is on my no-bet list. I've been losing money against this guy. <laughs> Since I, 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 I took a shot on Timmy Big Dick. Shout out to the MMA analysis. Timmy Timmy Johnson uh, to beat him, which he almost did. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Uh, shout out to shout out to Ryan Wagner that lost money on that fight. And he's still salty to this day because of the, Tim Johnson? The, the whole Tim Johnson Volkov fight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, shout out to Ryan. Okay. See, he feels me. And it, it's bad because, like, and then, like, there was the... And like when I do pick against them, whether it's like Rosenstruck or Tuivasa, it's not because I think they're the better fighter. Like I agree with every all the analysis Fenyo said. By the way, I think he's underrated. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, and all these things, which is why I was willing to take him at small dog shots against prospects that we weren't sure were probably going to be good. But are they that good yet? At the time he fought Gone, at the time he fought Aspinall, you know, I thought it was well worth a shot. It was, it was closely lined for a reason. Heavyweight MMA. But, like, then he's burned me, too, even, like, with the Lewis fight, that archetype for when I did, did take him against these dogs where I, 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 you know, don't have a lot of heart in or whatever. But that Lewis one, I remember, shout out to my guy Kenny, was working pads with him earlier. But me and him were, like, this was, like, toward the end of the year. And it was, like, a crucial moment where, like, we were neck and neck on for first place. And it came down to this pick. And I remember, I just, I, I, and, and, uh, he, and I remember him picking, seeing on staff picks that he picked Derek Lewis because him and John Morgan, shout out to those guys, MMA Roadshow. Um, John especially has, has ties to, to Texas, and they have ties to Derek Lewis's camp. And Derek Lewis is a big underdog, right? And they're like, screw it. I know I need the pick points, but at the same time, I got a homer. I got to go for my guy, you know? 
And so me, Dan Tom, who doesn't homer, who's trying to be strategic, who's trying to be unbiased, I'm salivating because I'm like, fuck yeah, that is the one easy pick I'm going to get over you guys, you suckers, right? And sure enough, the way the night ends up going, um, I end up really needing that pick to come through. And I'm looking like I'm cruising three rounds in. And, of course, we know what Derek Lewis fucking just hits him. And I'm just like, he's doing his dance. And I'm just like, not again. I'm having flashbacks from when I picked Marcin Tybura and other people to beat Derek Lewis, right? I'm having all the PTSD. Um, you know, and again, I, I, I flopped on Volkov, taking him in against prospects, gone, this and that. Even when I picked him and picked him right, uh, like against uh, Romanov, um, I still I still got it wrong because I was like, I'm going to sprinkle on round three because if it gets there, Romanov's going to die by that round. And then I said, you, you know, Volkov was still a favorite, but people didn't trust him. So I said, wait until after round one. He's going to spy spend the first round defending takedowns. But as long as he doesn't get finished by anything stupid, um, you're going to get a better price on Volkov, right? He's going to clean up in round two. If not, you're round three. You double dip. And of course he just like it was the fastest quit ever. Again, like just like just like just like me when I when I picked Sergey Spivak to pick Gone. It's not that Gone, you know, didn't deserve to be favored. It's not that I was surprised that Gone won that. It's that they literally go out and have the shittiest performance, you know? And even when even when I don't pick the guy, they have the shittiest performance to detriment and keep my losing vote. Sorry, we're gonna move on from here. But again, I, I should be beating myself up right now and punching myself for even betting Volkov with my history with this man. Never touching a fight of his again. Praise Volkov. <laughs> All right. Manel Cop defeated Felipe Dos Santos. I didn't watch this. It just looked like an entertaining fight. Um, anything to say about this one, Fenya? We'll, we'll blow through the rest of this fast. Uh, it was very fun uh, to watch. Uh, Felipe, very promising, but I I think it should be... It would be better for his development if he stay uh, out of the UFC for a while. Obviously, not going to happen right now. I feel like he's UFC ready. He has the level to compete, but I think uh, it would be better for his career to acquire more more experience outside because the problem with flyweight is that it's very shallow division but very good. So you don't get like no easy fights, uh, even like. Uh, teammate, I think, by the way, uh, Daniel Lacerda, that is fighting <laughs> in UFC Noche. Um, even him, that is on a fourth fight losing streak, he's a very good fighter. So, yes. yeah, you don't get freebies at flyweight. Like, no. And and I think it's not good for your development when you're you're learning how to survive fights more than develop your skill set. And I think that's something that has happened to a lot of fighters that get pushed to too quick to the top uh for example um if you saw like alexander hernandez in the regionals yeah super promising super promising he looks like a, a tremendous talent but then in the ufc he never got to develop because he's always like fighting for his life against yeah. very good fighters yeah. and the opposite the, on the first fight the, the opposite on the on his first fight against uh, dariush yeah just yes. made it worse yes. made it worse because she was he was only fighting good fighters and the few times that he got like a step down in competition, he immediately watched those guys too. So we, we, um, real quick, we even see it at a lower level, you know, uh, not even like a, a lucky knockout, but a bad decision. Like Nick Maximoff versus Puna Soriano, a terrible decision. Say what you will about Puna's optics on one leg, still, still won the fight, but. Maximoff gets that decision, and yeah. then he doesn't even have the killer's role that Alexander Hernandez has, right? Even even no. putting aside the context of divisional context, let's say that's even. Yeah. He doesn't even get that high of a bump, and he's like sitting there going from, 
oh, Nick D, I got the Nick tattoo, the Nick tattoo, I'm so tough, to like <laughs> fucking crying, you know, almost almost going like Max Roshkoff, and I'm not picking on Max, but everybody picked on Max, like, that, like Maximov was pretty much almost having a Roshkoff moment, everybody just chose to ignore it, and made him go back out there, like, <laughs> I guess Makun, yeah, I think, or somebody, yeah, it was just, he crushed, he crumbled, and like, we haven't seen him since, you know, like, you do, it's not that I, it's, it doesn't matter whether you like these guys or not, whether they have a high ceiling or not, like, what you just said, applies across the board and I don't think people re- recognize that enough with the current um, with the current model and you have a lot more of these fights where either it's a underprepared guy like this or it's a guy with no name but he actually has a chance to push out the old guard and you know so the UFC maybe doesn't have to pay the uh, whatever the high contract price of the UFC veteran is you know so it's like it's one way or the other but I think I was talking to some other like MMA gamblers, and maybe this you know you, you, this applies to you can you can even if you don't gamble, Fanyo, you you can understand this from a pick percentage. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why so many from analysts to betters, especially those of us who people air quote respect whatever that means, who have been around whatever that means, right? Um, I think there's a reason why, and I'm not trying to deflect, but there's a reason why it's not just me. To be fair, so many people, whether it's bets or picks right now, that are that are kind of in my same class, you know, whether as an analyst or a better whether we're talking about time, skill, or style, I think a lot of us are doing bad because, it, A, it is a weird year for what's already a weird and volatile sport, but, B, I think there's a lot of turnover. And I'm not just talking about the normal turnover that happens in the sport where it's natural. You know, the young lion takes the old lion. We can't be surprised when this happens. This is normal. We hate it, but that's normal. I'm talking about this almost, you know, amped turnover due to the UFC's business, new business models and matchmaking thrown the scale and we're getting matchups that you know what we're getting Strickland out of Sanya oh they must be doing that to to just you know fill the schedule of course out of Sanya is gonna and we we, we fall into these traps does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um and the matchmaking plays a lot of tricks into the perception of the sport and I think uh that that isn't talked about enough um matchmaking can do a lot of stuff for your career uh, we've seen it with guys like I mean, obviously, at the end, if you if you're the the champion, so so it is it is not like guaranteed to pan out. But if you see the way that they manage Connor or O'Malley, it's very different than some other guys. Um, and and one another thing that it's like weird with the matchmaking is that uh, if you're like an old guard guy, uh, you're under either of two camps. Either you are producing money for the UFC, and if you are in that uh, position, like for example, Gagey and Poirier, oh, yeah, that yeah. that they, they they get a lot of hate, they get protected by the matchmaking. Yes. Yep. Um, uh, and I admit that as a Poirier fan, and and then you are you can be on the on the other side, uh, for example, because guys that have spent a lot of years in the UFC still have like good contracts. Uh, most of them, some of them have like pretty bad contracts. Uh, McDessie wasn't just 50-50. I was yeah. very surprised. I mean, the tax, the tax thing aside, that's another topic. But the, the right. 50-50 for uh, for uh, more than 10 years in the UFC, that's, that's ridiculous, dude. But but some other guys get good contracts and they are not draws. For example, Drew Dover, and you can tell that. When Drew Dover is winning, the UFC is like, okay, good, we're good with you. Yeah. When he loses, when he loses, he, the UFC is like, okay, fuck you, because we're we're paying you too much and we're not getting the returns on your contract. So we might as well replace you with the Sarukians of the world that we're only paying like 25, 25 per fight, despite being very good fighters. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, they, they treat they treat him like the Joe Lozon almost like that. You know, where it's like they give him the gimme, and then they give him a really fucking hard match. Like, come yeah. on, just give give. Can we give Joe two easy matches in a row? Do you guys always have to kill him on the second match? <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, no, totally. And uh, just just in the efforts of pushing through, uh, the only thing I'll say about Tafa versus Austin Lane is. Ironic part before I passed out, and uh, the, my last tweet of the night, which made me look terrible, because as we pointed out in the Southpaw podcast, um, Eric Nixick like really is like, you know, everybody thinks you know we overvalue NFL and NFL players like we're still in high school, even as adults. It's really sad. It's like we never leave high school. These people are always the kings, no matter what they do, even if they suck at everything besides football, which is generally the case. That being said, the one guy who brings football in successfully is back. And not to round us back, but is you know is is really is, is Eric Nixick, and you listen to my guy Jason MMAI talk about it on the Southpaw podcast, and I agreed with it, and it was just ironic because my last tweet of the night was after Justin Taffa versus Austin Lane, and I don't mention it, but it just says reason number one thousand why football has nothing to do with MMA, you know, uh, just to not just if I didn't look bad enough that night, right? And of course, I was talking about MMA's great white hope thing, where we just assume someone can play football and. Fenyo, save me the rant here. Uh, you're, you were t- tell me you were just as just as not as surprised as I was, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was commenting to a friend uh, while, while doing the tapes, the tape study for Austin Lane. I was like, dude, I, I have watched like three fights from this guy, and I don't know what to write down on my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's not that it is not that he's bad. Like he's athletic. He has some tools, but. I don't know. He's like, uh, I think. I think another thing is that uh, NFL guys, especially like big profile NFL guys, uh, have a lot of trouble developing in MMA because the um, because they don't learn anything in the in their first like first three fights or something because they fight yes. people that are oh, so geez. unathletic that they just get like the the easiest knockouts of all of all time. They yep. they look so fucking good like when. Like Greg Hardy, uh, a piece of shit person, but he was looking like a million dollars beating yes. on bonds yes. on on the regionals. Yeah. And then you realize that, and then they attract the attention of like big promotions, and they end up on Bellator and the UFC, and then suddenly they're not fighting bad athletes anymore, and mm. they haven't learned shit in their three years training MMA, yep. and they get so badly exposed. Um, and you see these guys in the gym all the time, even as a, even as a, even as a, as a like a jujitsu, not even as an MMA yeah. guy, even as a jujitsu novice, you will have a chance to fuck up uh, some some decently high level college athletes at the very least, um, you know, yeah. who roll through there. So they've seen that. Whereas they, the other way around, they haven't seen a lot of fighters uh, who are just uh, have two word answers like Justin Tafo, eh, sure, or I'm gonna fuck you up. You know, whereas like Austin Lane, the pre-fight interviews, he's like, well, I just want to say that I know I'm going to get booed, but I love the Australian people. I'm like, why are you trying to make peace with people on the way out like you already lost when the fight hasn't even started? That's a really bad sign. Also a sign of somebody who doesn't fight or is comfortable with fighting, you know, coming from a nerd like me. But uh, Tyson Pete, Tyson Patriot, Tyson Patriot, they, um, shout out to my guy Aaron Bronstetter. He, he had to correct himself on his podcast. He goes, Pedro, Pedro, it's my favorite. When I know I'm infecting the minds of people. It's my favorite thing when I when I when I do that to you guys. Uh, he beat the pleasure man. Um, I, I'm, I I was I was gonna go by decision. I thought it was like a real cheeky decision or overplay because you know it was two good grapplers who were gonna just figure stuff out striking sloppily. But the city kickboxing thing must be uh, kicking in on, on P- 
Pedro's third camp now. And um, he wins with the knockout. And he does. And I hate to admit this because, again, who the F am I? Why are you admitting things that you, you can't do? And the one times you were in the ring, Dan, you didn't uh, you didn't get the win there. Um, um, but, like, or at least in the MMA cage, I should say. But, uh, but yeah, like, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. In my, in my dorky fantasies that I totally have because I'm a dork and I fantasize. <laughs> um, and when I, when I win, uh, especially if it's, like, a, if it's a knockout in my head, if it's a win by knockout, I do the same samurai sword thing except I will say he didn't he did leave out a part where he I you got to do the you got to do the down swipe to swing the blood off your blade and then do the twirl to sheathe it he left that part out so if I if I finally get my ass in the ring which I'm crazy enough to do still and I'm and and I'm and I'm going to be trying to do that and more maybe even some muay thai hold on folks uh, but but yeah um don't be surprised if Dan Tom goes full dork mode uh, and then I just begin to bawl my eyes out because I'm an emotional bag. If you're not tall and handsome, and <laughs> God damn you, Pedro. Any thoughts on this one before we move on? Um, uh, the only thing that about this fight is that uh, the fight begins and, and Turkali legit for me looked a lot better than in the past. And I and I treated like, oh, Turkali's looking a lot better. <laughs> and he gets fucking murdered like in the next 10 seconds. The curse. But he did look, he did look better. Like he was maintaining a stance. He was using long strikes. He was looking a lot better. Uh, some fighters are better when they are worse. I'm say that. It was that totally that thing in boxing where like they finally get you to sit down on punches and sit down on your form, and you do it and you get lit the fuck up because you don't have the defense yeah. down with it yet. You have the offense, but you don't have the the, the the bridging of the defense and to layer out of it. So you're just getting smashed the first couple of times. You're having to work through that fear. It's like he had to go through that in a fight, and he just got smashed right away once he started. Like, yeah, 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 I'm doing, I'm doing what my, I'm doing what we worked on. Look, look, boom. Uh, yeah, because um, yeah, sometimes like uh, doing the stuff more technically, especially when you have fought uh, in a super weird way for a long mm -hmm. time. Uh, sometimes you try to be more disciplined and your defense pays for it because you have like your way of uh, of getting away from strikes. You have better eyes when you're doing your weird shit that is totally incorrect and you should do. <laughs> and and I think that's a bit a little bit of what happened to Turkali here because Turkali have shown like insane chin in his fights before like mm. pedrino was hitting this guy so fucking hard and he was not going out at all and here pedro just like kills him <laughs> yeah the only uh the only other other bet which i added post podcast was uh carlos olberg defeated don jung I, i'll just say real quick i was actually really impressed with olberg here um but i will say it was also you gotta acknowledge just like people saying gone look great and they were leaving out the fact that spivak was just like mitch mcconnell um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure that that Don Jung. I don't, I, I, I didn't really like the way he fought. At least I felt like it was very like Rose Nami Yunus and uh, Menon Fioro. Even though there wasn't as obvious of an opening, like he was doing the pressuring work, all good to get there, but just not firing, not, just not doing enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it just felt like it was a clear as day um game plan. It's like well, you did it against Devin Clark, a better wrestler. Why don't you just take that same game plan? Uh, and I just learned my lesson. I cannot. I much. I love Korea. My 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 Korean brothers. You know, shout out to Sam Yang. Just had me on the podcast. Uh, I cannot bet Korean fighters, man. Cannot bet Korean fighters. I had the under in this fight, and then I figured if it got to round three, um, it would be like junk. So I was like, I sprinkled junk small on round three, and then I had like under two and a half rounds. I'm like, I'm gonna get something here. I've got the area fortified. <laughs> you are surrounded. Come out with your hands up, and they light heavyweighted their ass somehow to decision. Um. 
And uh, and then, yeah, uh, Chepe Mariscal defeated Jack Jenkins. I wish I looked more into that. I thought Chepe Mariscal was live. Um, good on him. I didn't watch that. Malarkey McDessie, I didn't watch it, but I heard Malarkey got a decision he probably shouldn't have got. Uh, I sped broke down those last three ones. Anything to say on those three in any order? Um, about Olberg versus Young, yeah, uh, the volume, very disappointing, especially because Olberg is clearly a guy that you want to make work. Yeah. So that was... That was pretty bad. Uh, actually, they didn't went to the decision. They retconned in the time in the moment. They oh yeah, that's the right. That's naked, right. Yeah. To... They get the rear naked choke to Olberg. Yeah. That's right. Um, Maris versus Jenkins, very exciting prospect fight. Um, uh, I was I criticized uh, Mariscal before this fight because he tends to fight like the fight that his opponent wants. But he surprised me here, uh, adjusting very well in the second round, pushing for the clinch that was clearly an advantageous position for him, and then got the finish. Uh, some people got mad because I gave props to Mariscal for the finish. But come on, dude! If you don't know, if you don't know how to break fall, it's your fault. No, totally. And I think Jenkins, Jenkins fucked up there. <laughs> it's that, a legit win yep. for for Shepe, for sure. And he should. Uh, and by the way, Shepe. Those the the Haragoshi and and also the, all all kinds of judo throw all the time if you do tape study on him so Jenkins should have been ready for that and the other fight oh yeah and Magdesi versus Molarki terrible decision mm. um, Molarki clearly two and three in my opinion uh, I mean Magdesi Magdesi two and three um, so yeah it sucks because uh, especially for uh, for an old fighter uh, because I thought it was a very impressive uh, performance by a by a very veteran of the sport and he did not get the win so kind of sucked yep. by the way guys I add another t I know I picked Malarkey but I didn't bet it of course because if I would have bet it then it definitely would have probably went McDessie's way but again <laughs> uh, the, the, the decision that everybody's crying about the guy that everybody thinks should have won either work the body, which may, John Mimidesi may or may not do, but this is more what I'm talking about. The second thing is, or they counterpunch. Oh, crazy, guys. Oh, my God. It's almost like it happens, like I say, 99% of the time of bad decisions. Fancy that. Anyways, uh, uh, I didn't watch Hack Press over Quinones, Radke, or his uh, you know homophobic slurs, as well as cops, by the way. Uh, not cool over Blood Diamond. Uh, Mike Diamond, uh, Gabriel Miranda defeated Shane Young. That 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 was that was just depressing as a as a Shane Young fan. Uh, Ke good for Gabriel Miranda. Uh, Kevin Gersett defeated Kiefer Crosby. I didn't watch any of those. Anything to say on the way out for those? I know we're running late, folks. We'll get we're gonna get to UFC 293 in a second. Yeah, no, let's just leave it at that. Uh, on the topic of ju of judging, so something very short is that I think uh, judges have gotten a lot better about scoring uh, about damage. I think we've seen a lot of surprising decisions that I agree with, mm -hmm. but I think they still struggle a lot with body shots, with leg kicks, and with counter punching. I think um, I think we're moving on the right direction, though, but but sadly, we still see a lot of like counter fighters, uh, body punchers, and leg kickers like not getting the decisions, and that sucks. Yep. Um, but other than that, yeah. I agree that it's a lot better than it should be, or than it, it's a lot better than it's given credit for. Absolutely, and the numbers support that, folks. Whether you like it or not, that's true. Um, as far as judging unanimity and other metrics, you can go by. Uh, but I will say, just that, again, the dangers of over uh, overgoing into uh, immediate or uh, even just using the word damage and or impact overly use is it opens that avenue uh, where you start over looking at moments 
and you start misjudging actual effective striking, which is leg work, body work, counters. Like these are these are in striking arts through all of time and have been effective striking for all of time for a fucking reason. I don't think words of a criteria should all of a sudden change that. Uh, but that would explain the discrepancy in what we see, in my opinion. Speaking of which, we may have some uh, decisions to argue about. We'll see where, 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 I don't know where Fenyo's at on this one, but we got UFC 293, of course, uh, we're about an hour in. Usually I try to maybe at least half hour, 45 minutes. Apologies, folks. But uh, we got some good uh, analysis and back and forth. Of course, we got Valentina Shevchenko, minus 170 in the neighborhood. Comeback on Alexa Grasso, the champion. Plus 142. I guess I kind of tipped my hand as far as I'm thinking that this fight's going to go to the distance. Spoiler alert, I am on the over for one of my plays here. But, uh, Fenio, start there. Do you think this, is this fight uh, does this fight going long? Do you, think it go, do you see it going short? What are your feels for this fight? Um, I'm not really sure how I feel when it comes to knockout versus decision or submission on this one. To be honest, um, I think it's a very hard one to call because uh, if you if we go by the first fight um a lot of people criticizing valentina for being bad at, at adjusting uh, i think it's kind of fair but i think the the openings for valentina were very clear in the first fight uh, she had a lot of success mm -hmm. with the jab with the low kick and with the double leg takedown those were like super clear for the for her especially the reactive double leg that never failed in the fight she started failing takedowns when she was looking for them proactively um and the jab was looking fantastic at, at some moments. Uh, com completely neutralized the 3-2-2-3 the two, two, changeup of Russell late in the fight uh, with the jab, waiting for the counter and jabbing again. Uh, she was having a lot of success with that. So Valentina has a lot to build for a winning performance. The problem with Valentina is that, um, and I was tweeting just a moment ago before going into live, uh, Valentina is, uh, is 35. That doesn't sound that bad until you consider that she started fighting when she was 15, uh, had 50 amateur kickboxing Muay Thai fights, 50 professional 50 uh, kickboxing Muay Thai fights, mm -hmm. three boxing pro boxing fights, and now uh, more than 30 MMA fights. That's an insane amount of fights. Like, and she clear she clearly is not at her best anymore. And. And, I, and as I said, Valentina, similar to Strickland, but Strickland obviously could put it together. Um, it's funny because we can draw parallels to Strickland to both Grasso and to Valentina here. <laughs> but on the Valentina side, uh, very, very dependent on her eyes, on her reactions, on the reflexes. And I think uh, the speed for Valentina is there, the physical strength is there. Um, very similar to like uh, late career, like uh, Jose Aldo, mm -hmm. that still very fast still very powerful but the reactions are starting to lack a little bit and she does mm -hmm. not have a lot of tools that that allow her to be safe without her reacting uh, accordingly to the to the opposition so uh grasso i think the her team make uh made a great job uh banking hard on surprising valentina with closing the distance with the hard one twos uh, Putting the jab uh, in front of her from both stances, I, I think yeah. that was very important to to throw off the timing for that check hook by yeah. Valentina, um, varying the timing of uh, varying the timing of the of the jab. I think was very important too. Uh, Alexa uh, playing the one of the simplest tricks of when it comes to rhythm. Uh, she was throwing the one two in the one two, and then she was surprising with the one two. Um, and that was 
uh, catching Valentina off guard a lot. And I think that was a very good eye by by Lobo Jim in that aspect. Um, Valentina, what can she do in this fight? I think um, I think the jab, uh, outside leg kick when when Grasso goes southpaw, I think the they weren't expecting it because Valentina doesn't really like the the outside leg kick unless she has some kind of setup. Like she landed a lot of good outside leg kicks against Amanda, but mostly of those were of like weird setups, especially the Superman punch. Yeah. Um, very GSP esque, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it was. Entry yeah. Into the low kick. Um, but yeah, uh, the double leg, uh, especially the reactive double leg. I don't think she he, she should waste energy going for for the double leg out in open space if it's not on the counter. Um, and yeah, no, just the jab, adding a one-two. Um, and one thing that I, I got to admit for Joe Rogan that said correctly, sadly, in this fight, is that Valentina should have kicked more. Uh, Grasso was not really showing an ability to catch leg kicks to punish her with takedowns. Yep. So Valentina should have just kicked more, especially when Grasso went uh, orthodox. Valentina, the 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 few times she kicked the body, she kicked the body very effectively against Grasso. Uh, Rogan was saying like, oh, why is not Valentina kicking the body? She doesn't kick the body as much, to be honest. Uh, everyone remembers the Jessica I performance. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a, an outlier. Um, mm -hmm. The body kick is for sure a, a, a tool that she has, but but not a, like a not like one of her signature moves or anything. And another thing that I liked for Valentina when they were Salpa versus Salpa uh, was a switch snap kick to the body. Mm -hmm. Just landed once, but looked very solid, good technique. And she could incorporate that very hard kick to catch, by the way, because it's not a roundhouse. It's a very like up the middle snap kick that uh, with the toes to the, to the rib cage. So that would be an interesting thing. For Grasso, I think, um, the clinch against the cage was looking surprisingly in her favor. I was expecting Valentina to look stronger there, to be honest. Uh, the one-twos, obviously. I think uh, ideally, if she could uh, uh, polish her her lead hook, both from orthodox and salpa, the left hook and the right hook, um, maybe uh, take a few pages of the book of Irene Aldana, her teammate. Uh, that always gets saved by her huge left hook. Um, what else by Grasso? I think Grasso should uh, should lower her stance. Uh, that's one thing that she should do to be, not be as vulnerable uh, to the double leg, especially. And I mean, Grasso just needs to do more of what she did. I think she needs to to push a bit a uh, bit of a higher pace this time around. Uh, she was like slowing the pace a little bit and I felt like she was losing a lot of moments, especially to Valentina's jab. Uh, late in the fight, I, I felt like Valentina was starting to mount momentum until she fucked up with the spinning back kick. Uh, excellent read on the back take by Grasso and her team, by the way. So yeah, that's, those are my reads. Um, when it comes to making a, to making a pick here, uh, I think Valentina has the tools, and I think Valentina wins this if she's a bit younger, but she's not. Uh, got a side with Grasso that comes with the confidence, she comes with the physicality, and she comes with a good camp that made good scouting for the first time. So I, I'm expecting good adjustments for Grasso into this second fight.
So you're going to go with Grasso then? Yeah, I'm picking Grasso by decision, I think. Uh, just stealing the fight with like big moments. Yeah, a takedown, uh, knockdown, something like that, you know? I think Valentina will still be able to control uh, big portions of the fight, but I don't think it will be enough to convince the judges that she won the fight. Yeah, I don't think my breakdown is out yet on Junkie, but that was my official pick as well. I picked Grasso by decision. Um, I think it's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to be one of those where uh, you said a lot, but I agree with a lot, where I think it's ultimately going to be a grappling versus striking, which sounds crazy if you're of the DC school where you're like surprised every time Shevchenko grapples. You're like, I can't believe this. Even though if like you watched her Muay Thai career, you would know that she actually likes to grapple a lot and would go for takedowns and tosses and trips anytime she could. She even landed in a mountain in some of her Muay Thai fights just to fuck with people. Like, like that's her, her thing. But to Fanyo's point, um, it's not just been clinch uh, dynamics, which have improved. But And I, I wrote this in my breakdown, and I, I wrote in parentheses, because I know people are going to be surprised when I say it, but I'm like, uh, Valentina's, because I addressed the criticisms of her adjustment, but I said it's not that her, she's not adjusting, it's that her adjustments are now heavily steeped in the grappling, but more specifically in level-changing shots, which she's been able to incorporate, whether it was off of the slips, which I'm glad you posted those on your account. Again, you could follow at Fenio on uh, the the artist formerly known as Twitter app, uh, at F-E-N-O-X Sky. But uh, I wrote that, it's I wrote specifically in the latter end of her championship run. That became a much stronger adjustment, right? And it also feeds into her mentality, which is part of the reason why uh, I was a bit trepidatious in picking her and ultimately didn't. And her mentality, um, whether you want to call it like a Muay Thai thing or whatever, or, or you know, like, a, for, you know, got Verdum in trouble at the end of his title run with Stipe, that whole, I got to get, I got to get, I got to get you back. And before, you know, when she would, even though I, I agree with you, although I do think she has a really good body kick, it's just, it's not a staple because she doesn't go do it, especially as much. But one thing I try to imitate on the bag, I always picture Valentina doing it. She's a really good, um, a slide back where like somebody's trying to kick you in the body and you slide back and then you you return and whip in with a with a hard uh yeah. uh body kick and she's so good at that doesn't do it enough um and I agree I think more kicking one of the not that it's an end all be all but it looked like Grasso to your point didn't have answers for like your regular tie kicks I think her answer to that was more just the range and closing off the window by going southpaw I think those were her answers and she was obviously training the more overcommitted, the more flamboyant stuff she could take advantage of, um, like Valentina's propensity to spin, which she proved, right, with her footage and, and training. Um, so if she's smart, I, I wonder if she, they're going to try to counter other kicks, knowing Valentina's going to kick. I know interviews are poo-poo, but uh, I did like that Grasso, who's not really cocky or someone to throw things overly out there if she doesn't need to. But she specifically said she uh, she was really excited uh, that, that Valentina spent time in Thailand, right? And part of me is like, oh, good, maybe we will see more kicks, right? And maybe maybe that's why Grasso saying she's excited, because maybe she has a, has a plan for that, right? Which they should smartly be. You know, kick counters worked last time. Valentina's probably going to shelve her spins. So what else is she going to go to? You need to have those counters in, in waiting in case it's there, right? You can never predict how a fight's going to go, but you can give pre preparatory uh, tools where it, it, it fits and it's appropriate. So perhaps that's something to play there, whereas conversely with Valentina's interviews and back to that attitude, and again, interviews are interviews, but your attitude as a fighter kind of translates, you know? Um, and this is kind of maybe a bad example where I usually do the broad stroke. If you're a bully, you're probably not a counterfighter. 
right? Um, to, to that example. But that being said, yeah. Valentina feels like she has a bully mentality or at least has steadily developed one mixed, when you when you uh, kind of mixed with the cement drying of her ego, right? Because to Fenio's point, she's been competing as a pro for 20 years against adults and been training since childhood, right? 15 and on to 35, that's 20 years of pro competition against adults. Um, that's a lot. And... You know, you hate to see it because there are people who are old and old dogs that can learn new tricks to keep an open mind into their old age. And I'm not saying Shevchenko isn't, but I think people get so caught up in the oh, she's so the the devastating La Femme Nikita. Oh, she shoots guns, but she's sexy, and they they're horned, they horn up like the Jack Slacks, like Jack Slack calls them out. And I think people forget that there's really not 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 much of a personality there. And what we do get, there's not much of a personality to hide from. And the personality that is there is quite overconfident. She's not very accountable. She's not accountable. She's not uh, kind. Even when it suits her and she comes away with the victories, instead of being gracious in a win, she will say, "Oh, it, nothing. Nothing was close. They weren't competitive at all." You know, like, it, it, like, 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 just total dick stuff that actually, like, if you're actually politically, if you're politically savvy and you really are selfish, you would be promoting your opponent to make it look like, oh, what a good job you did. Oh, you know, yeah. and she just doesn't do that. She won't properly account for her opponent's skills, nor will she properly account for her, her skills. You add that with the emotion of feeling the need to get things back. You add that with whether it's the potential timing that seems to be slipping. And with that timing, especially with no matter how dynamic of you are, you start getting into that age, people start figuring you out, like the Adesanya, Strickland parallels or other ones, right? It's not surprising to A, see them lose, but also lose in a way where they lose control of the fight. They find themselves on their back foot, especially with they already have a propensity to be there. Like Fenyo said, if you're relying on your eyes, you gotta be sharp because when you're not, you now playing by the cage, now playing by the back foot, now playing the waiting game, it becomes a higher margin of error. It becomes much more dangerous. So that's where I make the connection to the attitude, the interviews, the get one back. And you factor that in to not just what we're you know hypothesizing, could she have lost this to the stuff that she's actually lost, like her title, Um I don't like that attitude. I do not like the attitude at all coming from Valentin Shevchenko. You guys know I've been a a, a big uh, Shevchenko supporter in the past. I do not like the attitude. I do not like the trends. And I do not like, even though it's it's good, and, and it, it's not like what Fenyo said. It's not necessarily bad because I picked Shevchenko to use her grappling again to the surprise of the DCs of the world. But more specifically, and again in very Dan Tom style, I picked her specifically to win by Crucifix specifically in round two. Which is when, of course. Oh yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Again, and that would have made like my that would have made my night. It would have saved me. It would have saved me from what was going to happen next. Of course, one of the few times I ever pick against goats. And not only do you pick against goats, like when you pick against Gone to beat uh, Jones, I already expected that to lose that fight. It's heavyweight. You're picking against a goat, right? But again, I picked against a guy who just shows up deer in headlights. And you mentioned Aldana earlier. You know, again, picked against Nunez, one of the rare times. And if that's not make, making me look bad enough, right? Uh, she, she's got to go out and nothing against Aldana. I still love her. But I'm just saying, deer in the headlights performances. Like, come on. As if I didn't look bad enough. Wow. Really just making me eat all this shit and swallow it with a smile, huh? Sorry. But uh, I see that. I, 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 could, I, could, I could see that uh, again here. And again... Uh, you, you you couple that with the fact that Valentina in her rematches, whether it's Carmouche, whether it's Nunes, fights she won or should have won, had an argument, she was trending winning, or whatever it was, right? 
what's the common trend? She fights conservative, right? Uh, what is the common trend to whatever the reasons we're hypothesizing of she's heading towards shot territory or whatever you want to say that we are saying? What is that common trend we're talking about stylistically? More conservative, less. What is Grasso? Durable. She puts out numbers. Um, and I, frankly, for lack of a better word, like I say in the video breakdown, I just think she's an annoying matchup the more I look at this to where it, unless Valentina can do what she almost did, what I predicted her to do, I feel like those adjustments, her newfound adjustments of not just going for takedowns, but shooting in the open, even with the good setups in tow, I feel like that becomes a point as well of diminishing returns if she doesn't get that finish then we're stuck grading even though valentina will strike she's not just all position and lay and pray and submissions which ju judges don't award as highly uh, regardless of your opinions on it right she will strike she will give the judges something to score but can she do it enough can she produce it enough against a, a, a grasso who is only continuing you know say what you will about the purple belt and bjj she's probably brown belt level with her scrambles and defense easily um, only getting better, only continuing to work those things. She's got Lapita Godinez in camp uh, to keep the, to the wrestling and scrambles. She's got you know uh, her training partner uh, who's also in the UFC with Diego Lopes. Uh, Diego there. Lopez, yeah. yeah, Lopez there, and uh, that's you know I I don't know man I don't I I can't count on Valentina uh, to make that same prediction. So I'm gonna go with Grasso by decision. I play Grasso straight up at plus one fifty seven for a unit. And then as a potential hedge slash an added bonus, because I feel like it's going over either way, um, I play the over. Over 4.5 rounds, minus 155 is close enough to playable chalk. You know me, for my definition of playable chalk, I like to say that minus 150 range and below. Minus 155, you can still get it for the minus 140s. So uh, I definitely keep that out there. My prop squad thing, and you know I technically have to play those, though I will say I'm probably just going to keep that in the round robin. You'll see a grosso by decision. So the play is 1.55 units for a unit return uh, for this to go over because I think if Shevchenko wins, it's probably going to be by decision. I think it's probably going to decision anyways. Hopefully Grasso is the one that gets the nod. She will have the audience uh, cheering, which will, you know, does have an effect on the human subconscious, even though judges are trained to block those out, people. And it also could have an effect on the subconscious of someone with the ego uh, of Shevchenko, who, you know, again, she was doing the Austin Lane thing going, I have Mexican fans. I, I know people in Mexico, too. Like, she's doing that movie. Like, that's not good. She's, again, she's living in fantasy world. She's great, but her shit don't stink in her head. And that is fucking dangerous, especially when you're, you're, in, a, when you're in a position where you should have better learned better by now. Give me Grasso by decision. Yeah, the thing there with the attitude is that uh, that thing that Valentina does, that downplay her opponents, that saying, like, I'm so much better than everyone else. It can work very well when you're the hammer, but it comes to be to bite you in the ass when you're the nail. And I think that's going to happen here. Uh, I think I agree with you. Uh, I think it's a very winnable fight either way. I mm -hmm. think the, the odds should be close. I think Valentina showed for long stretches of the fight that she can win this, but she's not getting younger. And I don't know, Grasso, Grasso looks solid. Uh, Russell, to me, to be to be honest, doesn't look like the best flyweight in the world. Uh, but she looks like a flyweight that can beat Valentina Chevchenko for sure. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, before we move on, I was to say, Ghost, you guys think Valentina can adjust, uh, like, do a pressure game plan, which Grasso hates? Uh, I'm no fan of hers, by the way, because I have doubts uh, of Valentina's adjustments. Um, again, the only pressure I see is, is grappling pressure, but again, Valentina likes to either set that up off the back foot, even with her shots or obviously the clinch. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm I'm gonna bet on her to pressure. What about you, Fenyo? No, I mean it would be it be it would be a very good game plan, I would think, but it would be hard for her to implement. Uh, especially because her defense is so relies so much on mm-hmm. getting on the back foot. Yep. I think um, I think she can get aggressive, and she has looked uh, good being aggressive in the past, uh, especially against uh, Jessica Andrade and Jessica I. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you need to be called Jessica. Maybe she hates Jessica yes, or something. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, in those performances, she was very aggressive, and we saw what happened. Very impressive performance. Uh, but yeah, I mean the thing. Um, but Grasso still has tools. I mean, Grasso for sure doesn't like uh, pressure. I agree with you on that, uh, Ghost. But but the thing is that Grasso in in neutral space and Valentina likes to like to take over from neutral and start into pressure for there. And Grasso can compete in neutral space just with the one two. I think just with the, her ability to close distance and she has a good jab. Uh, e- even though she was like uh, clearly out jab for most of the fight by Valentina. Um, I still think like Russell is not completely lost at open space, so I don't think it's going to be easy for Valentina to push her back just because uh, Valentina needs to like get something big done before taking over. Uh, and that could uh, happen for sure. I think uh, Valentina got more tentative after getting rocked by Grasso on the first round. And if that doesn't happen, maybe who knows? I but... think she... I think so too. I no, think go. so too. Uh, I just wish Sammy Arnett was just jumping in real quick and signing off with the Valentina has no answers to getting backed up. She's Superman punching to the rear low kick, which is funny. Just wanted to get that in real quick, as well as um, Rio says in Truesdale, Shevchenko is just a lean back check hook and spinning attacks um, off the opponent's uh, lead. She also does the spinning attacks to check to protect the outside angle from being taken against Orthodox. So I almost wonder if the typical orthodox adjustment that everybody gives for fighting southpaws, which is beat the lead, because Valentina is probably going to be afraid to spin, and she's going to be solely reliant even more so on the check hook, because she usually relies on on her spin side kicks, spin hooks, and spinning back kicks when people get cheeky and really sell out to the uh, try to take that weak angle or perceived weak angle. That's where Taekwondo comes in. Um, James Kendrick, to add to Dan's point about Valentina grappling, Val liked to take people down in kickboxing as well, though it was illegal. Yeah, yeah, she really pushed those lines for sure. Um, all right, you, I'm put... If you've seen the, the fights the fights of Valentina against Joanna, yeah, those were Muay Thai, um, amateur Muay Thai, but all takedowns, all Valentina does is dump her on her head the whole fight. But Joanna is so mad because she's not even getting to fight. She's, like, getting dumped one and once again. Uh, that uh, uh, by the way, uh, Jacek versus Valentina in, in MMA in the UFC, mm-hmm. very good fight. One of the very best good performances for yeah. Valentina. Yeah. Very good fight. Uh, Fanyo, can you slightly slide to your right, just 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 a little bit, uh, to get more in frame, oh. a little bit more? Yeah, thank you. It's because the way it cuts on mine, our dual screen, it uh, it yeah, doesn't yeah, give you sure. it doesn't give you as much room to work with. Uh, Sinker Wayne, good. We were all Team Grasso because Valentina's fans are annoying. That's hilarious. I'll push on on that uh, on that comment. Uh, co-main event's pretty decent one, Fenyo. We got, uh, uh, pardon my, pardon your ears, folks. I'm going to do my Michael Schiavello, uh, Jack de la Madalena, uh, <laughs> minus 148 <laughs> versus, uh, right? <laughs> Living the dream, brown penis, sorry, <laughs> minus, sorry, <laughs> that's, uh, for Kevin Holland plus 124. <laughs> I, I need to hear, I need to hear Mike Schiavello call, call JDM fight, sorry. <laughs> Oh my god. 
Tom um, wanted to know if his schlong was as crooked as his schnoz. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's your hog analysis, Ryan Wagner. Although, if you want more, go to the MMA analysis. Those are the hog analysis masters. I tip my hat to them. Um, I'll start off with this fight, I guess. And then uh, we'll, uh, uh, my, my opinions will be very short on the rest. So, it'll be mainly the Fenyo show. No pressure, Fenyo. But, no, I did I did my, I did my tape on this one, even though I know these guys fairly well. Um, Jack... Della Maddalena originally opened as a dog, a slight dog. It just kind of did a, a pretty much a, a mirror flip. But I don't blame the odds makers for putting Kevin Holland initially as a favorite because he's the more proven product in the UFC and MMA. He is more of a sample size as far as that goes. But I do feel like that's recency bias baked into the line because, and again, I have it to prove. I picked Della Maddalena by decision. And again, speaking of analysis that nobody gives a shit about that I get right and it doesn't pay off. Like, whether it was about Armin Sarukian versus Makachev, when everybody's like, who's Armin Sar... Just, it's, 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 it's Islam, and Khabib retired, so he has the magic dick. Bet him inside the distance. And I was like, relax, guys. Don't empty your bank accounts just because it's Makachev and a big favorite. Everybody, because whether it's the, the, the fetishization thing or not, betters when it's a big favorite. Fenya, they're like, oh, that must mean he's going to finish him inside the distance, right? And whether it's that or whether it's... Uh, was another one, and it was least, uh, least impressive to... Uh, say where I'm always just like, I'm not picking this guy to win, but don't discount him. In fact, if you're strategizing how to play this fight or really forecast it without just broad brushing shit, um, it's probably going to go to decision. And sure enough, it did. And this was another one where I said, I actually did the tape. I know I just was shitting on myself that I barely get through all the main cards, but I remember doing this one and it felt like, again, which I don't blame people. This is the, We just talked about this trend and why perhaps a lot of us are doing bad with our picks and plays because there's so much damn turnover. There's so many cards. It's you know When you get this last-minute replacement on the umpteenth time with the Jack Della Madeline, you're like, okay, he's just going to wash this guy. But if you went and watched the tape, I said, Basil Hafez, this is a tough, durable guy. Um, he's going to give JDM a hell of a fight. Now, if Jack Della Madalena does finish, it's going to be in round two. Again, the closest round where he came to a finish. Um, if not, it's going to be by decision, which I, I I can't bump my chest too hard because I didn't have the balls to bet. And, of course, that would have saved my ass that night. And, of course, because since I didn't bet it, I'm not getting any credit for it, even though no one really had that analysis. Everybody was just writing Basil Hafez. So, even though Jack Della Madalena himself admits to the bad fight IQ, I'm not defending that part. Um, I feel like people are, are just because they, the, you know, like a Tim Elliott, uh, Demetrius Johnson or Tim Elliott didn't even do that good when you look at that fight, but he had a, a competitive first round against DJ that no one was suspecting. And that narrative took hold for everybody from the broadcast on, right? It's that it kind of, uh, expectancy bias. shout out to, uh, the, the Sean Sheehan's of the world there. I think it was his co-host actually that created that name, but that is a real thing. And I feel like that's in play here. Do you, do you see what I'm do you feel what I'm saying coming into this? Or do you think Jack Della Maddalena sucks now? No, no, I, I for sure agree. Uh, we see with the commentators all the time, by the way, like uh, Rogan that we know is super high on Valentina. He went full on Grasso during the fight. Yes, yeah, yeah. He went crazy for Grasso because she had that big first round. Yep. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really think less of Jack Della because of the Hafez fight. I mean, Hafez was very, very tough, and I think Madalena won all three rounds. Uh, he, Me too. he kicked yeah. his fucking ass. Like the yep. the, the split decision was a, a fucking crime. Um, uh, and when it comes to Kevin Holland, obviously he looked great against Kiesa. Kiesa looked fucking terrible. I mean, yes. imagine that Ter- he Jack Della. 
I, I picked Kiesa too, by the way. That was me, my fault. Another deer in headlights person? I, I pick, oh, Dan I had money Kiesa on him. Too. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I picked Kiesa too. Sorry, I jinxed you, bro. I jinxed you, bro. That wasn't your analysis. Uh, <laughs> and, like, just imagine what Jack Della would do to that Mike Kiesa, like. Oh, Jesus. And, and, yeah. and, 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 that, and, and uh, real quick on the Kiesa thing, it's not that, you know, um, oh, it's because he was on the back foot. Um, because Kiesa is another guy, kind of like uh, Shevchenko, Southpaw, who likes to set up their takedowns in the back foot, which still could have worked if he really, you know, committed to his things, like his his, his left crosses and twos. Because if no matter whether it's from Orthodox or it's from Southpaw, and I was reminded doing tape once again for this fight, left hands are what hit the most and what hit hardest on Holland. And Jack Della Maddalena, correct me if your if your reads are different, but I believe whether he's operating from Orthodox or Southpaw, his left hand is the quiet killer. Uh, there, so you mix up that basic, uh, not arbitrary, but uh, amateur, maybe for lack of a better word, basic uh, analysis, basic ass analysis with a little more different layer of cage positioning. Now let's add that layer on it, and cage positioning. Well, Jack Dalmelena is like Robbie Lawler as far as his preferred kill zone. You play in the fence and the inner black octagon lines. You are in JDM's territory. Your reach advantage be gone. I know. Randy Brown is three inches shorter, 78 inch listed compared to Kevin Holland's 81, but we're splitting hairs. It was practically a similarly heighted fighter, and you saw how quickly it disappeared that the fight was pretty much over in an instance when they got there. Kevin Holland is not very hard to put there. Um, Kevin Holland, really, if you look at it, has not faced a lot of uh, good strikers. Like He faced early Jeff Neal, a very raw Jeff Neal, who is impressive, and I'm not trying to take away from that. But it was early in Jeff Neal's career, and people that didn't watch Jeff Neal's regional career, he was a ground and pound guy. Jeff Neal would take you down and ground and pound a lot more than you. It was much more 50-50, if not maybe even some fights 60-40 for his grappling taking the favor. As opposed to now, it's what, like 70, 80, 90% striking Jeff Neal? It was a complete different Jeff Neal when you see that on the record. And even when you got guys like were like traditional martial artists like Charlie Ontiveros, he didn't really want to mess with. Now... Stephen Thompson much better than Charlie Ontiveros, obviously different different thing. But you know Holland makes the mistake of giving the gentleman's agreement, and we actually see Holland for prolonged exchanges with a good striker. And um, even though Holland is really good, he has his flaws too. And I know he did hurt his hand earlier than he admitted to his corner. But again, um, Thompson, not that Thompson couldn't counter. In fact, his early shots, as Thompson's are, is feeling his darts, his lunges are off the counter. But when Thompson really starts putting it on him, it's because Holland is falling with his back to the cage, which has never been a hard place to get him to, even if you don't know what you're doing, like Darren Stewart, and still able to make that fight close and arguably, you know, could have won that on the cards. You know, I'm not trying to relitigate that fight, but I'm just saying, uh, even kind of a more aimless, less dangerous person that wants to pressure forward. Um, can put Kevin Holland there. And when you really look at it, seldom has Kevin Holland faced really talented strikers or striking specialists, and seldom has he really faced pressuring fighters. And if he has faced pressuring fighters, it's usually pressuring fighters who want to wrestle, and that's become the typical trope on what we label as a Kevin Holland losing condition, which I think is dangerous because not only has he improved his wrestling, he's also now in a division where it's not quite as wrestle weight as it used to be, and his size and improved mechanics, I know one of his main coaches now is a wrestling coach, like he's got his boy who kind of does pads with him, and then he's got his wrestling coach, and then I still think he goes over and works with Bob Perez, who I do like, uh, what is it, like 4-Ounce Fight Club, Derek Lewis's camp, Daniel Pineda's there, but 
I don't know how much he's there right now because Holland's saying, again, he took those two specialist coaches and now he's working at his own spot. And Holland is just one of those dudes, you know, everybody's judging bad fight IQ for one JDM fight. Like, do we forget who he's fighting? Do we, you know, do we forget that he's fighting one of the most unpredictable guys both in and out of the octagon? Like, one of the least safest guys to bet. And even when I've tried to, you know, uh, fade Kevin Holland or even when I pick against him but I can't bet him, like, I picked him to beat Tim Means because Tim Means was the uh, one of the last guys who, like, could strike and pressure. But Tim Means also washed, you know. So there, there, there's those caveats if you're going, Dan, what about Tim Means? Tim Means can strike him. Like, I, I didn't forget about those people. But there's, there's caveats there, and I love Tim Means. I don't throw the shot thing out there very much. But Tim Means is super hurtable. He gets clubbed and sub all the time now. He was getting it done to him before he fought Kevin Holland. You know what I'm saying? And so seeing Kevin Holland, knowing who Kevin Holland is, even though he is fighting better, he is taking fights more seriously, he is improving, there is something about seeing these inflated, like, minus 400. Not that he's that in this spot, but traditionally before the Kamzat fight and the Thompson run, you saw him just, like, minus 400 above, minus 400 above. I'm like, damn, man, you got to be a really good and reliable fighter in any weight class, right, to be a minus 4-1 to favorite in a volatile sport like MMA. So maybe it's that that gets me to look to fade Holland, and we're not getting these numbers now. In fact, I missed the boat on the dog. Della Madalena is the favorite. But between the cage positioning, Faneuil, the left-hand susceptibility, um... I feel like it's going to be Della Maddalena here. And it sounds crazy because Holland, even though he can be rocked, he's really hard to be stopped. It was a corner stoppage for his lone stoppage. I still think a cheeky submission is on the table. Maybe not by guillotine, but you look at the Randy Brown fight, you forget he actually finished it by a rear naked choke. And by the way, he actually smartly landed leg kicks, both on the counter going backwards, which is impressive. Not many people can kick backwards for a guy you associate with brutal pocket boxing and body work to show that he can time jabs going backwards and coming forward. A big deal. And he knew to do that against Brown. You can watch out for that here. I'm going to go with Della Maddalena. I took him inside the distance to cover the submission because you're only getting like roughly a 20 cents difference uh, between the KO prop and inside the distance. So when it's that close and they're both plus money, you kick for coverage, you play inside the distance. But because JDM has that nose for a reason, I'm going to kick it to Fenyo here in a second. I'm long-winded. Because he has that nose for a reason, he doesn't have the greatest defense in the world. Kevin Holland's right hand is opportunistic. I also played the number as a potential hedge or a potential added bonus, depending on how it goes. Under 2.5 rounds at minus 135, more than playable. Give me a whole 1.5 unit on that. Maybe you see JDM by sub or round two in the round robin, but those are my plays here. Fenya, what do you got, man? Yeah, I think uh, this fight is very dangerous for both guys, obviously. Um I think uh, Holland a lot more dangerous in the pocket than you would expect for a guy with his length. Oh, yeah. Um, he has he has uh, gotten better as a as a long distance striker, but we've seen a lot of times where he puts the hard shots. It's on the inside. Uh, let's go back to the Buckley knockout. It was Buckley closing him. Bam, and he closed. And he has a surprisingly good defense on the inside. I think. Uh, Holland has the, his biggest lapses uh, trying to close distance himself or in the mid-range, but inside he's like kind of good. I mean, he's uh, kind of weird, a bit funky because uh, a lot of like sh- uh, shoulder rolling mm-hmm. and starting with the hands, but a bit of like Kung Fu going on there. <laughs> yeah. But but he's actually good defending in the, in the pocket. Um, so it's interesting to see how that plays, but, but actually, but I mean, not actually, but but for the first time, fighting a good combination boxer, so that's interesting too. So body work too. You know, yeah, 
Jack Della is going to go to the body in those sequences. Obviously, Jack Della, when going to the body, he can expose the head, so that's something to watch out for, too. Uh, Holland, uh, the footwork, mm, I mean, he moves around well. He's agile. Uh, his positioning uh, relative to his opponent is decent, but I think the cage craft uh, is lacking. Um, something that I, I've said uh, about uh, many fighters in the past, so it's easy to put him against the cage. Uh, we saw that Jack Della, that's where he finished uh, Brown. That's where Wonderboy threw hooks to the body for the first time in his career was against uh, yep. uh, Kevin Holland against the cage. Right. So, Because Holland, Holland will roll and do Kung Fu stuff, but a lot of it's to the head. So even though I agree that his, his defense is much better and as well as his offense, I both notes, absolutely. Defense better than Jack, you could even say, absolutely. But the body is hurt. He hasn't really faced that body puncher, you know. Um, another pressure striker who he fought, who would put him against the cage, maybe not work the body as much, but the legs definitely took advantage of that, was Ponzinibbio. But again, same caveat for Means. This is, you know, you know, uh, same caveat for Means or for Chiesa. Like, these are past it guys that are already on the yeah, commentary. Very, very two, two of the three are already on the commentary grinds. Like, he was fighting, he was getting these finishes against commentators, you know, or guys trying to just pay alimony, like uh, Cowboy Oliveira, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you have to put some of this stuff into in, in, into context, too. Um, so, again, he, it's not that he hasn't faced these guys, but uh, Della, you know, for his holes, you can't say that he's not in his prime. Uh, you can't say that he's in a position to not just uh, digress, but if anything, especially after his last showing, to show up better. You know, he's still 27 uh, he had a, a bad, you know, a bad, a bad performance by his standards. So it's a dangerous fight for both. I agree. I don't mean to cut you off here, but uh, but yeah, I just wanted to, I just, just wanted to add that. Yeah, I think, um, I think, I'm guessing some people are expecting Holland to wrestle here. Uh, not, I don't see it to be honest. Um, maybe uh, Holland a pretty transforming into a pretty decent counter wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, so he can get the, the front headlock going when someone shoots a bad takedown. I don't think Jack Della is going to shoot a bad takedown. I would expect mm -hmm. not. Um, if they go to the ground, both are pretty underrated as grapplers. Uh, Jack Della especially. I think yep. people sleep on him. Um, I mean, he was he was he was not even getting in trouble for all, all those uh, guillotine attempts. Um, he was like getting back to his feet yeah, all the time yeah. against Hafiz. Hafiz looked like a fucking horse, super strong, and he was not accomplishing shit to be honest. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, the leg kicks uh, are interesting here because uh, Jack Della very hard leg kicks, mm -hmm. um, something that gets overlooked as you mentioned. Yeah. But uh, Holland uh, very heavy on the front foot usually. Yeah. Uh, he usually gets uh, manages the distance well and pulls off the, the the pullbacks to defend against leg kicks. But if he gets put against the against the cage, uh, it gets uh, sketchy because uh, he depends so much on distance to defend the leg kicks. If he gets if he puts him again uh, against the the cage, uh, there's no going back for the leg kicks and the body shots. Uh, it's a it's a lot closer than I would like to as a Jack Della fan, and not that big of a Kevin Holland fan, but but yeah, it's close. But I gotta go with with Jack Della here. Uh, the knockout, I'm I'm not sure because Holland has been so fucking tough, so I'm not sure. But yeah, I think if, 
if there's a finish sequence here, it probably goes late. To be honest, I agree with you. Yep. Uh, yo, uh, to parlay off Dan Ghost says Holland will put put himself on the fence on his own. Um, Rio says in Truesdale says we are all Jack Della fans just because he hits the body. That is true. Um, and also Holland has a good chin, but what you could say about guys with good chins or skinny guys who cut a lot of weight is their body might not be strong, especially when they're used to fighting up a weight class. They don't feel as strong uh, in the body uh, when guys have good chins. So again, something to to watch out for. Um, as points Fanyo made, James Kendrick said that Michael Schiavello was rough. I apologize to your guys' ears and your souls for that one. Uh, but yeah, we'll move on. But yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I think that I actually think that Kevin Holland is going to shoot, which is why I think that uh, my official pick will probably be Jack Della Maddalena by submission round two, <laughs> because he probably will get the, he'll hurt him. And then he will get the guillotine just to say, fuck you to everybody that gave him shit. Cause that's, that's so, that's so <laughs> MMA, right? That is so MMA. That was a good, that was a good guillotine to be honest. Like, it, it was, it was. And then, you know, Holland, you know, to grappling pressure and stuff like a similar, like Randy Brown kind of situation could happen as well. Um, and I think that Holland, because he, he, he was ready to do it, I think, in one of his last fight or, like, in the Ponzinibbio fight, they'll be like, uh, is, it, is it time for the takedown yet? It's something that they kind of strategize, it seems like, to have in their back pocket or later to catch someone off guard. But I think that kind of similar to Grasso-Shevchenko prediction, um, and even my prediction prior to their first fight, despite picking Shevchenko, was that Grasso's aggression will probably bring about the best in a fighter like Shevchenko. Uh, and again, win or lose, I think Jack Delamena style, style will bring about the best in Holland and maybe even force him outside of his comfort by making him go to some of those shots. And we get some, you know, kind of scrambles breaking up the potential finishing points like the Hafez fight. Uh, but both are so violent. I just feel like round two is going to be the hot round. Um, round one obviously could end either side too, but I just feel like round two is going to be the hot round. So I'll probably go Delamena sub round two. All right, we'll cut through the rest of this really fast. Uh, I don't have really much to say on Raul Rosas Jr. Minus 750 over Terrence Mitchell, 525. Fanyo, the one thing I will say is I was watching before this uh, uh, Terrence Mitchell interview. And um, for those of you guys who grew up in the 90s, man, like, does he remind you of, like, did, did Kel from Good Burger have a son that we're not aware of? Like, welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? <laughs> yeah, Raul Rosas Jr., man, but... Uh... <laughs> like where do they get this guy, man? Like anybody else get those vibes from him? <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't see it before, but for sure I'm gonna see it for the rest of my life now. <laughs> like both looks and the way he sounds, it's hilarious. Like I thought I wanted him to go into. Oh, a- I haven't. I haven't heard him talk. So I'm, oh, you gotta I'm hear him talk. That's it's fucking go go listen to him talk. It blows my mind. I was just like, who is this? Is this Kel from Keenan and Kel or something? I thought he was gonna go into repair man 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 man. Shouts to anybody who remembers uh, these fucking terrible Nickelodeon shit. Oh, um, but uh, do you have anything to say on this? These references are these references are are out in us as old people here. Like <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. This is the UFC trying to get Rosas a win, obviously. Like uh, Simon, that was a striker, submitted this guy in his last fight, and now you have Rosas that goes all in on the grappling, and he's going to take him down and submit him. So, yeah, I don't appreciate this matchmaking, to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty clear, I guess. How the numbers would say so. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously. Check my quick picks and prognostications. You never know where my ass is gonna go, but I mean it's pretty safe to say you'll see a, probably a Rosas by submission pick. I do want to I do want to look more into uh, Kel from Good Burger's son to see what what he's been up to. Um, 
Daniel Zellhuber, who just has a very German-sounding last name, very, you know, I wonder what, what happens when you uh, check that lineage, huh? Uh, is this guy a Drikas fan? No, Zellhuber trains out of my gym, I believe, minus 278. Um, you know what's funny? I'm actually going to use for the, you know how I use gifts for all my picks and plays? I'm, I'm going to go with full appropriation mode and full American mode. I'm going to probably use three amigos as the, uh, as the movie choice, because I have to go with something that's also outdated. Because that's just me. Yeah, for sure. But I believe they have, like, I believe they touch on the German Nazis, like, kind of going over into Mexico. <laughs> it's it's very likely to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the gifs are going to be rolling out, folks. But we got the comeback on Christos Yagos. Uh, not Yago from uh, Aladdin. Yagos, uh, plus 225. Uh, anything on this one, uh, Fenyo? I think, I think, uh, so Sehover is a big favorite, you said? Um, so I think Cuba. this one is like one of the hardest one to to predict. To be honest, uh, the thing with Yagos is that uh, even though his record is not 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 the best, he can be a little bit inconsistent. But he's a big dude. He's athletic and he has a double leg. And a lot of these kids boxer kids do not like the double leg part. <laughs> and the big strong guy they also don't like. So I would not bet on on Hoover here. To be honest, uh, I understand him being the favorite, but I know, guy. Uh, I do not bet the. I mean, I don't bet in general, but if, right, I, if right. I were to bet, uh, I would not pick the the skinny kickboxer to beat the the fucking hunk with the double leg. So. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I I still have to go back and watch Joe Huber's last fight before I can write this fight up. Uh, full disclosure, I'm on it right now, but um. I will say, regardless of what you see me pick, from a betting perspective, uh, it feels like a dog or pass spot, to Fenio's point. I'm not saying you should go bet Christos Yagos. I'm just saying, careful buying in to favorite. I mean, Yagos, favorite. Yagos put on a good performance against Charles Oliveira, so so he knows a thing or two about fighting a, a long <laughs> kickboxer. Yeah. So. Sorry, hiccups here. Um, this one's open to the main card. I You tell me what you think, because I, I, I know... Nelson is a do or die guy. I'm having trouble uh, remembering Fernando Padilla minus two fifty comeback on Kyle the monster Nelson. Even though he's Canadian, I always got to say it like he's from Boston. Plus two hundred five. <laughs> uh, is this worthy of a main card opening spot, Fenyo? A and then B. What do you uh, have on this fight? I'm not. I'm not sure either. But my my read here is that uh, I mean Padilla very hard to predict because he I, I thought he was looking pretty bad on that uh, what Erosa fight. He was troubling Erosa being just as long as him, uh, but he was being troubled himself. Um, and Kyle Nelson, after like sabotaging himself, being exciting, he has decided to be boring, and now he wins fights. Right. So, so that's an interesting development. Um, Padilla, big favorite, you said? I think that's completely bullshit. <laughs> that's just like recency bias because of the big finish. I would think uh, this is another one that it's either Nelson or Pass, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, he op- yeah he opened it this too. It wasn't even like he got bet up to this number. It looks like he opened it minus two fifty over two to one. So yeah, yeah. Even if I do end up picking uh, Padilla, uh, I wouldn't uh, be betting on this fight. Uh, that is the one thing I will say, despite not having my quick picks and prognostications out or finishing clearly uh, my tape study on that fight. Um, this next fight, though, the headlines, the prelims, I do have a play on Lupi. Good- uh, Godinez, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. 
uh, minus 440. Uh, I don't know if she's she's Canadian. If you're asking the Canadian, shout out to my Canadian brothers and sisters out there. I was I was joking with my guy Aaron Bronstetter, going, uh, you guys are the you guys are uh, are right up there with like the. Uh, with, 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 like, the Irish as far as, like, appropriating people. Like, even if they just, like, vacation in your hometown, you'll be like, oh, that person's Irish now. They're Canadian now. Uh, you know, they, they have, like, a, you know, uh, and, uh, but, but, but yes, no, we've got uh, Lupi Godinez, of course, there. And Elise Reed, plus 340. Basically, um, Lupi Godinez, like, is she, she could, part of me is, like, you could, she could get stuck in, you know, is she trying to maybe develop her striking and then she gets stuck in a fight that she shouldn't be doing, um, which we've seen flashes of in past performance, correct me if I'm wrong, but, again, you don't know what this is, but I got to imagine the Diego Lopez and the uh, Lobos Gym and the Alexa Grasso, both that just positive energy and having a lot of grappling going on in that camp, I imagine, I got to imagine she sharpened some of her submission prowess, whether it be, you know, the defense and that translation leading to engineering offense and vice versa. Um, so I'm actually going to go with uh, Loopy, whether it's by TKO or submission. I found inside the distance at plus money, it felt like a no-brainer bet for somebody who's a 5-1 to one favorite near. You know, say what you will about that. You know, we're, we're in a Ronda Rousey odds. I don't agree with anything uh, over, like, north of 3-1 to one for these kind of fights. Obviously, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying go lay the chalk, but if you're gonna give me plus 125, I will put at least a unit on that. I only did put one unit on it. Tempted was tempted a little bit to do more, but no, I'll just leave that there. Maybe that'll pay for one of my failed bets further up the card. But uh, it also is my first bet of the night, and it's WMMA, and it's me. So there's already those three strikes. So go ahead and bet Elise Reed because I got Godinez inside the distance. What do you got on this fight? No, I mean, this one is the, the easiest one to predict in the whole night. I think the um, the numbers are a bit exaggerated, but uh, Lupi deserves to be a big a big favorite here. Um, let's just do the, the basic, like, MMA math. At least Reed got grappled by Loma Lukbumi. Um, and not that Lukbumi is a bad grappler. I mean, she has very good takedowns, uh, but she's very small. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, Lupi is big, strong, a uh, good grappler. Uh, but hot take that doesn't doesn't relate to the fight. I thought Lupumi beat Godinez in their fight. Uh, just just throwing that one out there. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Lupi Godinez for sure is going to win this one. Uh, Reed might survive to a decision, but I don't think so. Uh, it's Godinez. Uh, to be honest, it, it would be one of the biggest upsets of the year, even though this is like a small fight, not, not a big deal. But it would be a very big upset, in my opinion. Yeah, and we're talking about, about Loopy, but at least, you know, it's just one of those fighters where you can do the sure dog breakdown. I mean, and that, and just if you've seen some of her fights, which I have both on regionals and in the UFC, and you you kind of you kind of get get what her style is, what her winning conditions, and more importantly, what her losing conditions are. And as far as my bet goes, inside the distance, she's a do or die fighter. So you know how I like to do those, unless it's like, unless it's like unless the do or, unless the the do or die fighter is Daniel Pineda versus a contender series guy who, for whatever reason, is the biggest favorite on the card, Tucker Lutz. Uh, aside from that, I'm usually betting against the do or die fighter from a gambling perspective because you know when they're going to fade out. A la JJ Aldridge versus Leon, Leon, uh, Leon uh, Naliang. You know, Aldridge is not a finisher, but against Naliang, she is because Naliang's a do or die fighter. <laughs> it's the style that dictates the matchup. Don't get hung up on broad brush generalizations, folks. I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, Fenyo. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I think Reed 
uh, yeah, she's a. Uh, I mean, she might not get the finishes, but she really takes over when she gets the fight that she wants. And uh, I do not think she's getting the fight that she wants in this one. Like, not at all. Um, Elise Reed. The thing is, she, she, what kind of style is my guy, James Kendrick? She, I believe, uh, even though it's not listed, I believe she actually trained by like Upstate Karate, and at least has that sport karate background in a similar yeah. region. So. Unlike girls who come from kickboxing, especially from Muay Thai, that translates more to the grappling, like we talked about with Valentina, even just basic kickboxing, like not even that good, just like women's kick, but you, it's, 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 it's enough base and balance to where you can start attacking or attaching other styles to it. Whereas when you, and I'm speaking to somebody with the karate bias and stuff, there's a lot of unlearning you got to do as a guy who came from a bladed stance, for example, as a guy who likes that in and out stance, because I also, yes, did sport karate. Uh, up into the black belt levels uh, nationally. So I, I, I get it. It's hard to unlearn, and there are a lot of obstacles to where you see people who either don't unlearn it and their winning conditions and losing conditions become clear like Elise Reed, or you see people who adjust and actually embrace the things like Chris Curtis, who after his contender series when he didn't get signed, he was act- he gave me a compliment because he was surprised that I... He's like, how do you know that I'm a right-handed southpaw? And it's just something, again... You're either coming from traditional martial arts, usually, or wrestling, um, if you're a right-handed southpaw a lot of times in MMA. And you can kind of pick that up and get that feel from people, whether they've worked their way out of it successfully, like a Chris Curtis, and balanced their style, or they haven't. There's still those fingerprints on there, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, we're going to push through the rest of this really fast. Uh, Josh Frem zone, plus 260. Roman Kopilov, minus 325. I feel like this is Kopilov all day, but at the same time... Yeah. I don't feel like there's anything from a bet. I don't want to pay minus 325. And even Kopilov inside the distance is like minus 160. That's like just above playable chalk. So I feel like I'm priced out of here. But I feel like this is uh, inside the distance uh, probably like a round two uh, stoppage after having to uh, get his near stoppages in round one interrupted by big tall man grappling. What's your read? Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, I mean, the, the commentators have said a lot about Kopilov actually training in Dagestan for the last two or three fights. Mm-hmm. And, but I think it kind of shows, to be honest. Yeah. In the few sequences that we've seen, I, we've seen big improvements by Kopilov. Yes. And he's a huge hitter. Uh, friend, it's not very layered on the feet, so he's not able to ex- exploit the, 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 the good things that Kopilov does because Kopilov... Uh, gives you the impression of being a lot better than he is when he does the, the stuff that he wants. Uh, his limitations yeah. like disappear when he's just like kicking the legs super hard, going left hook to the body, that kind of shit. So, but I, my um, read is that he's going to get to do that in this fight. And Frem, uh, he's super long and he can be annoying on the feet, but Kopilov doesn't really look uncomfortable fighting long fighters. And Friend uh, is an enthusiastic wrestler, but not a very good one. He used his size because he came very overweight against uh, Jamie Pickett. I, I thought that always, I think, a scumbag move. When you come overweight to wrestle, like, you're, you're bad, man. When you do that shit, <laughs> you're not cool in my book. But yeah, if he shows on weight, I don't think he's going to be able to wrestle Kopilov, and Kopilov is going to fuck him up, so... Yeah. And, and yeah, and when it comes to betting, yeah, I stay away from that one because Kopilov is the rightful favorite. Yep. Uh, and if the finish is not paying well, yeah. The only thing I might do is maybe if I, I need something because it won't be a high number and I get, even though I suck, I feel like I'm still getting limited in a lot of these houses, which sucks. 
You know, I've even, I've even had like some of these bookies message me like I saw an old podcast message on the Protecting Nick podcast account going, can't wait to listen. Like a bookie fucking with me from a from a book that uh, from a book that I may or may not have taken money from me before, folks. So you guys can do the math there. Um, so that is a real thing. Uh, but yeah, I might do a copy law of round two, even though it's a crappy number. Like if I need something for a round robin, because I'm not trying to. I already have enough exposure, like a pervert on a Sunday on the top uh, two fights. I don't need to be like, even though I will have those still in my round. Robin. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna go to the next fight. Daniel da Silva, Daniel Lacerda, Daniel Laverga. Depending, I don't know. Uh, Plus 205, Edgar Chavez, minus 250. Um, I don't know if... I know Silva's a fighter. Again, do or die. We know what we're going to get. You guys should know how to play that. Maybe you go Chavez round two or three. Look what that looks like off the top of my head. But I honestly didn't look into this fight enough to know which side I'm going to end up on. Is fourth or fifth time a charm? What do you got for this one, Feno? Yeah, I mean, you feel when, when a fighter is as dangerous as Lacerda, unless his confidence is completely on the floor... He's going to eventually win one because he's so dangerous. Uh, but on the other hand, like Shida's very, very tough. Um, he survived against Taira. I think the first one, the first fighter in the UFC that has managed to do mm -hmm. that. So, so that's interesting. Um, I don't know, man. I, I would say stay away from this one. Uh, but from a betting perspective, if I had to choose, I, I guess I'm, I gotta go Shida's just because. He lasts the three rounds, and uh, Lacerda kind of falls apart. But other than that, like, not much to say about this one. Yeah. I don't even know if I can blind bet the two and three, because I remember Shadas like, dropping for guillotines and making bad fight IQ himself. So I probably would have to see more. I agree. Uh, next fight I actually do want to pick your brain on, because you did, you did some good clips on Tracy Cortez, who's minus 122. And I didn't tape this one, but it feels like she should have been a bigger favorite over Jasmine Jazzadevicius, plus 102. Um, am I, am I, is the line right to you, Fenyo? I didn't study this one, so I'm, I'm probably just putting my foot in my mouth with my speculation. I, I understand Tracy being the favorite, but I think, uh, think price right. Then. I think Jasmine. Yeah, it's ja uh, the thing that was interesting to me is that, uh, especially against uh, uh, Maverick, is that mm -hmm. Jasmine is is rough for fighters that want to certify it. And also Tracy uh, maybe probably has, still has the, the wrestling advantage on this one. But just so the vicious works very hard to get back up. He's more scrappy on the feet than Tracy. Uh, Tracy probably has like better pop, uh, better technique, mm -hmm. but she can, she uh, she's kind of awkward. Like she doesn't have that great feel in the pocket, especially. Yusudavichus is not like a uh, very good striker, but she goes hard, and that can be rough. Um, I don't, know, I don't know. I was expecting because I watch, uh, I was watching uh, Tracy versus Gato, uh, very close fight, by the way. Uh, uh, decision could have gone either way. Uh, decision that the judges, I'm guessing, rewarded the top position and. And in this case, I'm not completely against because it was so close. But, but I mean, yeah, the thing is that Trace is not super big and has that style that uh, depends on her having a lot of athletic advantages. Uh, she's more athletic than Jesu the Vicious, but well, I don't know. If it goes long, it could get ugly. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think Tracy is the rightful favorite because she's the better wrestler. Uh, she got probably one of the few fighters in the division that can hold just the issues. Maybe yep. um, 
And that's one, that's the things that make me side with her. But if it goes long and the takedowns are a bit scarce, uh, I think Jess Davicius can put the pressure on her, especially late. Yeah, from what I remember of Jess Davicius, and I know a lot, some of these fights were like, I don't know how she made straw weight. I think she fought Elise Reed or something. That is so big. But like, it is so insane. Big. But she does strike a lot in the clinch, and she just strikes more. And back to the point we make about judging, where even if Cortez does end up with the bulk amount of control time, which is what I'm leaning toward, uh, we could still get a cheeky decision that is not just cheeky but correct uh, if you know uh, if uh, ja Jasmine is putting up more strikes and scoring more. So I'll just add that. I'll see where I end up on fight day. Check me at Dan Tom MMA. Just want to get through the rest of this really fast. Uh, Alex Reyes plus three fifty versus Charlie Campbell minus four fifty five. Didn't look into this one too much, but Charlie Campbell does not feel like, or if you look at his resume, a minus four fifty five. And I know just like Tracy Cortez, who's de dealing with a lot of injuries and layoffs, because I did listen to Cortez interviews despite not getting to her tape yet. Uh, I know Alex Reyes, obviously big layoffs, big major injuries he dealt with. But I believe, without looking off at the top of my head, he arguably has a better resume than um, Charlie Campbell. I know he's, I'm know he pretty sure he's got a win over my guy, my strength and conditioning coach, Gil Gardado, who was an excellent uh, pro and amateur fighter, the first guy to beat Giga Chikatsi as a pro back in the WSOF. Um, so that alone already has a better name than anything on Charlie Campbell's win record, at least, I believe, off the top of my head. But what do you got for this fight? Um, this one is very hard to predict, especially because, uh, what's his name, Reyes? Uh, he's yeah. coming off such a, a big layoff. Yeah. His last fight was that random fight against Mike Perry. And it's, it's, it's like one of those fights that when it gets announced, you're like, this guy is still in the UFC because she, um, he got manhandled in his only fight and then yeah. he disappeared for four years. It's kind of crazy, but... Is, 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 some... Fanyo, is his body warm? Is his body warm? Then get over here, kid. You're getting signed. Get over here, kid. That was the worst fight I ever saw in this series. But get over here, kid. Give you a chance to prove me wrong. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. My warm body yeah, league I mean, joke aside, but go ahead. Yeah, no, and... <laughs> it's the... But he... He looked decent on the feet. It was the, the physicality in the clinch that caused him. And I'm not sure that's going to happen this. So maybe this one is going to play out like a striking, uh, an exciting striking bout. But I think unless you have like inside the info and you are like close to being illegal to bet on this one. Yeah. You should. You should stay away from yes, this one. Absolutely. Like, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Another one you should probably stay away from, uh, in my opinion, just because the odds are priced out. Speaking of uh, my joke about signing anybody, uh, oddly enough, one of the only fighters that didn't get signed this season uh, yeah. now finds herself on a card where I believe she was originally booked for a fighter not being ready was booked way above her pay grade, kind of like the Manal Cop fight we talked about earlier. But yet the way things shook out, because, again, it's always a crazy shakeout here, um... She finds herself as a, the, the person who wasn't good enough to be in the UFC is now a minus 600 favorite in her debut. Fenyo, anything on this fight? No, really, stay away from this one. The, yes. the odds are, like, right. The, if this, if there's one fight easier to call than the Lupi versus Reed one, it's this one. Like, I saw the man tape, mm -hmm. and I don't see her winning this fight at all because she's a good grappler, but she's not a good wrestler, and that's uh, not a good combination to go against. Uh, someone so athletic and big like uh, Nutson is so and Nutson on maybe Nut what are the odds for Nutson by decision uh, uh, because that's that's the only one that I could see maybe 
I'll, I'll pull that up now. Um, Ghost Phantom, I'm going to get to your question for Fania. I hope it's the same one you answered earlier because I didn't, or put in earlier Ghost because I didn't forget about that. I was going to double back to that. As well as another question somebody asked about the prelims and then we'll recap and get the fuck out of here because we ran late. Uh, I apologize, but I have actually someone good to talk to and my ass is long-winded, so you mix those two things. Um, it's a lot. Fight goes to the decision in general is plus money, uh, but for Nutson to win by decision is uh, minus 109. <laughs> That's funny. You can bet the fight. Oh, no, never mind, never mind. Fight goes to the decision is, sorry, it's minus 155. And then uh, Nutson to win by decision, minus 109, pretty much even. No, money. those. Not sexy numbers. Those are bad. Those bad are numbers. bad, though. Yeah, stay yep. away from the fight. That, absolutely bad odds. Um, I'm going to go back to Ghost Phantom's thing. I'm going to just do a couple questions and we'll go. I just wanted to, there's, there was a prelim one earlier. Um, someone asked, I think somebody asked if I could like improve my game by picking the prelims or something. Um, who is it? That, who said that? Just from a betting perspective, I think Nika. Yeah, here we go. Nika, just from a betting perspective, Dan, do you think it could help results to cap undercard stuff as well? Um, even though I'm shitting on myself and I'm not taking away from that, in a perfect world, I would love to have analysis for every card. But as Fenyo, who I don't want to say only, I'm not trying to degrade, but only does it for the pay-per-views, even he can tell you that alone is tough, right? It's more than people realize. Not to try to complain or first world problems here or anything like that. I'm not trying to do that. Um but ideally, I would like to do that as well for every card, and it's what I used to do. That being said, and Fenyo, this is where you can, even though you don't bet, you can kind of help answer, maybe either shit on my point, feel free to, or, or, or come to my come to my savior here. But I, I would argue that part of my justification, aside from efficiency on time and the fact that I'm not paid to do this podcast and I'm not paid to even further to pay to break down the prelims, I'm really only paid to break down main cards, co-main events for Action Network, main events for UFC, right? And I do have to find bets for like Prop Squad or this or that, and sometimes those will be down in the prelims if I can't find anything in the main card. But the way I structure it is I go from top to bottom because that's where the interest is. You've got guys who do a good job going the other way, and I shout those people, my guy Clint. He will go from bottom to top contrarian. As a contrarian, I appreciate that. As a betting market guy, you want to beat the markets. Most people are starting from top to bottom, so if you start from the prelims, you can get the jump on those numbers. But as you guys know, I'm not a CLV guy, which means closing line value. Um, for me, I'm more in the field of you either get it right or you get it wrong. And I get there is it is important to have CLV, and that does add up. I'm not disregarding any of that math. That is just folks. But aside from me hating that and people living and dying on that too much and making too much of a big of a deal arguably about it, also, the fact is the things that I'm paid to do, they only are paid to be done at a certain time, which is like the last three or four days are my deadlines before a fight card, right? And even if that wasn't my deadlines, and like, well, Dan, that doesn't mean you can't turn things in earlier. Maybe your editors would like that. Maybe they would. But here's the thing. Even without COVID, which COVID, it was a mess, but pre and even now in the, whatever era you want to call we're in now, there are so many last-minute adjustments. Look at the Josh Frem fight. It was like two different fighters, that Frem and whatever fight, right? This Nutson and Man Martin. Man. Like, at a certain point, you could be like, am I being responsible by putting time and effort into prelims? Especially when you consider that also, not even just the prelims, the main card, since the UFC is bragging about two-thirds almost close to approaching at least one-third contender series fighters, we're not even getting fighters with good sample sizes to bet on, which is a big rule of yeah. mine. Bet on what you know. So even if for forgetting about that rule and forgetting it doesn't apply, 
and let's say maybe there are tangible targets, whatever those are by your definition, how early can I really justify my research, whether it's for the prelims or the main card, with the bout subject to change being as potent and volatile as it is in a sport that's already potent and volatile to play that is MMA? Sorry for a rant, but is my point, you know, do you get my point there, Vigno? Like, I don't know. Like, no, I'm, it's for And I'm not sure. Sure. I, I start making, I start watching tape for the full preview, like on Sunday before the pay-per-view usually, because I want to know yeah. what the card is going to look like. Sure. And the, the cards never hold up nowadays. Yeah. It's awful. They always get super. And even then, even, even as late as I do these previews, uh, I got like, uh, the Jack Della fight this, this year canceled. Yep. Uh, during Wagons on Friday, so and we had that situation with the uh, the Hamza against Holland and Tony versus Nate. Uh, that also everything happened after I had to yes. completely oh, yeah. done. So, oh, yeah, totally, I mean, man. Uh, uh, you, you, you and, do. You do it long enough, you see it all, man. I remember, I remember getting on a plane and feeling good, going to New York for UFC 223, being like, all I have to do is write up uh, Paul Felder versus Ally Quinta, and I'm done, because uh, I did like extra, <laughs> I did extra in-depth analysis because it was such a good card, right? It was supposed to be Tony and Khabib, that's why I bought tickets in the first place, and I already lost that at the point of flying on Fight Week, right? To UFC 223, like my favorite fight ever. Everybody knows I used to be a big Tony fan. This was the fight I wanted. I flew down there, spent all the money, right, as a fan to go, not even using my media stuff. And then when I land, the I, I flew right during the press conference of the McGregor bus attack. So when I land, I, I take off with the peace of mind that all the matchups are intact. <laughs> and I land, and all the matchups are different, right? I mean, you see it all here. So that was a good question by Nika, and you're not wrong as far as, like, could I do better? Because what did we say earlier, right, Fenyo? That actually explains why I'm doing so bad is because I am targeting the more proven products. And with turnover being both the nature of the beast in fight sports to arguably being at an expedited rate, right? It's the butterfly effect. The matchmaking, like you said, Fenyo, affects the product and perception and results much more than people realize. That's why I complain about it and other people who are knowing in the know, analysts or not, also have these similar complaints. It's not just me. Um, so there is a point to that, and I agree. Perhaps if I was just rolling the dice and taking these crazy shots that, you know, these people I see, like, put two 10-unit plays on WMMA fighters, like the Mardic Man fight kind of things like that. Like, yeah, if I was one of these yahoos, and I, I all love, by the way, like, there's good people who do that stuff, and, you know, they're lovers and supporters of the show. I, I apologize. I know I just broad brush the gambling community and shit on them because they've... It's, it's not been very kind to me over the years, especially this year, folks, nor is the gambling world, so forgive me. Not trying to shit on the good ones, but again, to that person's point, that it is probably a reason why I'm losing because I'm trying to be responsible in gambling, ironically enough, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's dude, just, you, gotta, you gotta try. <laughs> it's just the uh, game. It's the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, talking from a non-betting perspective, I think uh, you learn a lot watching low-level MMA. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so much work. It's so much work because, uh, in fact, uh, most of my tape watching is actually done for prelims. Mm -hmm. uh, because main card fighters I usually yeah, sure. know better. I get Absolutely. my reads way easier. Uh, sometimes I gotta watch like four fights from a newcomer and every fight is bad and it's hard yes. to get reads because they are fighting over match opposition that doesn't tell you much about right. the fighter uh it's not 
it's not very common that you watch good fights when you're wa uh, watching Tay for the preems. It's either like uh, a dominant, boring decision, super lo super quick knockouts, and it's right. hard to get notes out of that. Like, um, I think uh, the fights that, that I usually learn the most from a fighter is a competitive fight where uh, the fighter that you're you're doing tape study on gets to do their a right. game yeah yeah and then yeah and then maybe a close loss to those give you a lot of information i think but sometimes you do not get that at all sometimes it's a six and oh guy all first round knockout yeah right? uh worse so frustrating well yeah. my, my dog is crying in the background because we're running along so uh and you guys are in the future and present are probably uh, killing yourselves too so i appreciate you guys for being here hit the like button I saw like up to 12 people uh, watching live. I know that's like shitting on yourself, but who am I fooling? Those are good numbers for me, folks. I'm not even going to try to lie, uh, but I will say there wasn't 12 likes, so hit that like button, I don't, especially if you've been hanging around this long. I don't deserve it, but maybe I deserve that. Uh, last question before we recap picks and plays and get out of here, Ghost Phantom. You mentioned Fanyo does custom analysis, setting us up for the plugs here on the way out. Can a certain scout, such as myself, pay for that custom analysis to help out a top fighter or is it a conflict of interest i'm not sure to what answer that. that no there's not conflict of interest just dm me on twitter and we can arrange something um for something uh other than that uh i just want to plug uh two things before we leave here because yeah we've been here for rages yeah uh first one uh if you want to support the fight site where i work uh go to our patreon we have a big backlog of exclusive staff mostly alternate commentaries video analysis that we cannot put on youtube a uh, very good robert whitaker video and a very good sergio Perez video that got taken down on youtube you can watch those on our patreon and you can support our ongoing project to bring more eyes to combat sports analysis not only mma but also boxing uh kickboxing uh, wrestling to uh, visit the fight site. We got uh, wrestling rankings uh, for Russia, for the US and international done by Seth Petara coming out very soon, I think on Monday. Uh, and other than that, uh, you can go to my to my coffee where you can commission me to do a, a video analysis, a short video analysis around five minutes of any three round fight that you want uh, for only 25 bucks. This is uh this is insanely cheap guys uh just just the the video editing is around 100 bucks for a video of that duration and i'm just doing mma analysis on top of that so i'm doing the whole work for just 25 bucks if you want to support me i'm very happy if you do uh and that's everything uh, thank you uh dan for having me so always, i always have a blast talking to you uh it's so much fun and also like it's great to exchange opinions with someone as smart as you i don't know about the last part but it is really great talking to you man honestly it's it's awesome i apologize for running late i apologize for running long but please uh support uh my guy fenio at 
Feniel X Sky, the fight site.com. You can get all the links to all the work, all the Patreons, all the ways you can help and subscribe. Find me at Dan Tom MMA. This podcast is free as per usual, uh, supported by MixedMartialAnalyst.com, which I was going to finally do a cleanup on the read throughs for the uh, Amazon and Onyx click throughs, but uh, I went late, I went long, so I'm not going to waste your guys' time with that. I don't deserve it, anyways. Though I do want to shout the people who do support this show. Thank you for the shares, likes, please, positive stuff. Uh, shout out Fanyo, shout out the podcast, tag it, I'll share it. Fanyo will share it, uh, please. It really all does help. I know I'm the worst salesman, and I don't deserve it. But uh, thank you guys. All right, going to recap, pick some plays, and get the fuck out of here in this long episode. Uh, taking Grasso over Shevchenko. Taking Jack Delamadeline over Holland. Taking Raul Rosas Jr. Uh, over uh, Welcome to Good Burger. Terrence Mitchell's Good Burger. Can I get your order? Taking Zerhuba. Zerhuba. Uh, over Christos Yagos. I'm saying like he's a German or something. Taking Padilla over Coyle the Monster Nelson. Um, taking uh, Little Loopy Godinez over who the fuck is she fighting? I, I don't know, Dan. You only bet. You only bet. Elise Reed, of course. Elise Reed. Uh, taking Russian Chase Hooper Kopilov uh, over <laughs> uh, Josh Fremd. Taking. Uh, we'll see where I go with Chavez or Lacerda da Silva. Uh, we'll see there. Check me at Dan Tom MMA. I'll probably leaning toward Cortez, but I don't know if I'll play anything there. But check me at Dan Tom MMA. Um, maybe I'll just. Pick Alex Reyes because who gives a who gives an F, and um, it'll just make my guy Gil look better if, if he wins. I guess. Uh, shout out to my guy Gil. Um, happy birthday, belated birthday to Gil too. Is this week? He's he's been on your fight site panels before. Uh, he's been on some of your podcasts. Gil Gardado, baby. Um, Extreme Couture shout strength out. coach. Um, Josephine Nutson. Yeah, I will probably take her. Um, as far as plays go, I'm on Grasso one unit plus one fifty seven. Uh, props JDM inside the distance. Uh, plus 165 one unit. Loopy inside the distance. Plus 125 one unit. Totals. We got two. Grasso Zerchenko. Potential heads or bonuses for both. We will see if either of them hit over 4.5 rounds at minus 155 for the main event. Grasso Zerchenko. And that's 1.55. I can't drive. 55. I don't even know if that's the song lyrics. Probably not, but I probably just set myself up for a racist joke inadvertently. Either way, we'll try to get a unit back on that one. Of course, I got the total in the co-main event. JDM Holland under 2.5 rounds, minus 135. 1.5 unit, give me a unit back and some change. Hopefully, whoever wins. Hopefully, it's Jack Della Maddalena, because I'll probably have Jack in the round robin, either by sub or round two, whatever I'm allowed to do. Going to look for Grasso by decision in that round robin. I doubt I will find anything tangible worth playing prop-wise, unless it's maybe like a Rosas round prop, which will probably be even low and stupid on the main card. So maybe I'm having a reach down for a Kopilov round two, maybe even a Chavez round two or three or something like that, uh, depending for that round robin. You'll have to peep me on fight day at Dan Tom MMA. Thank you, Fenyo, again. Thank you all for being here. Time to get the fuck out of here and always protect your necks.